Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 148. I'm your host, Em, and with me is a special guest, Olivia. Hi, I'm Olivia. I guess I'm kind of like Abnormal Mapping's anime trash correspondent. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's... You've never been on Abnormal Mapping proper, right? No, I don't. I don't think no, I no, have. No. So as far as as far as our audience is concerned, the only thing that they know about you is you are our Gundam X expert. And that's not anime trash. That's good. That's yeah, that's normal. (laughs) The second best Gundam anime, you know, you can't beat it. Yeah, I think my top three, it's a top four. And it's sort of a it's a vigorous fight between. Uh, between X, Victory, Turn A, and Iron-Blooded Orphans. Yeah, I can't, I can't weigh in on Iron-Blooded Orphans yet. I'm excited, Uh, but I'm trying not to be too excited, because I don't want to oversell it, you know? You know, it's been six years of everyone selling us IBO is great. Um, You can't do any harm that hasn't already been done. We will just simply appraise it when we get to it. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I, I knew people were nuts about turn A, and that's just the best one. So, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes quality is self-evident. Just like my love. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, someone is honking. Uh, yeah, sorry. I live in Harlem. No. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sounds of the city. It's quiet here. Um, so we're going to do a normal, normal thing. What have you been playing that is not Muv Love, which is our game, This obviously, oh. this episode? Oh, man, I've been on... This whole year has been such a JRPG kick for me, um, more so than usual. Like, I, I am a JRPG fan, but, oh boy, let's, uh, let me just list them all, because I have backlogs, handy-dandy little, little journal Oh, function. yeah, sure. Okay. So, JRPGs that I played this year. Uh, Tales of Asperia, Definitive Edition. Uh, The Legend of Heroes, Trails in the Sky, Second Chapter. The Legend of Heroes, Trails in the Sky, The Third. The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel. The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 2. Xenoblade Chronicles 3, Future Redeemed. Uh, Soul Hackers 2. Um, The Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero, uh, uh, Persona 4, Golden, and now I'm working on Persona 5, uh, as well as The Legend of Heroes Trails to Azure. So, How many of these Kaseki motherfuckers you got left? Uh, so after, I'm in the, I'm in the end game of Azure, after which I'll have Cold Steel 3, 4, uh, a sort of gigantic crossover game called Trails into Reverie, I think. Um, and then those are all of the Trails games that are currently localized in English, but they have two more which have not yet been translated. Okay. wasn't Isn't one of them called Crossbell? Am I thinking of something else? Am I just don't know the fuck I'm talking about? You're thinking of the Crossbell Arc, which is okay. which is uh, Zero and Azure. Uh, okay. Named after the city in which they take place, Crossbell uh, City. So you're like you're like nearly done. I'm I'm really approaching it. Yeah, I'm starting to get into what I've heard people call uh, the the Avengers arc of Trails, just because that this, sounds ominous. Yeah, Trails to Reverie is about juggling three different 
parties, because at that point there are just so many characters um, that are around and being protagonists. Mm-hmm. And it's fucked because two of those guys are basically the same guy. Is, um, has it ever gotten better than when you had Estelle Bright as your main character? <sighs> okay, so just as a character, Estelle Bright probably won't ever be beat. But I will say, as a story, I think the two Crossbell games are probably the peak right now. Um, okay. It, they really, those are the ones that they made right after Estelle's story, and they're the ones that I think... It's like they really learned, they really learned the lessons, they tightened up, um, it's, it's a weird thing because they sort of, they sort of contracted the scope while also deepening it, so it feels like you take, it feels like the game takes place in a smaller set of locations, but you just get to know those locations very well and all those people. Um, I think it is one of the games that is best for just, like, wandering around the town and talking to the NPCs every time the story advances and, like, seeing seeing their little shit going on. Um, there's a very heartwarming story, for example, about all the kids from the various neighborhoods, like, becoming friends and, like, playing games together in the streets, even as, like, shit starts blowing up. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, and it's just... I think it just has the best overall cast. Um so far it's a very cute like yes they're all cops but it's like what if cops could be a big big anime family okay that makes sense Kaseki's like one of those I, mountains I want to climb but I don't know when I'm ever gonna do it yeah it's like I. it's the thing it's the thing I'm climbing because I'm an RPG sicko and if I wasn't an RPG sicko I don't think I would do it Uh, fair enough. I, I consider myself an RPG sicko. I just like an older vintage of RPG than that, I think. Yeah. I, I um, Also, I like I was going to play a little bit of the first game, and I realized really quickly that that's a game that, like, you got to either get be okay with missing a bunch, which I'm not, or baby a guide, which I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, uh, they see, they apparently, so they do some things to make... It, that a little bit better as things goes on as things go on like they uh they the early games have some really punishing windows for missing stuff and i feel like they get those windows get longer or at least more telegraphed as the games go on i know in cold steel 3 they're gonna start putting the hidden quests on the map which i'm gonna be great very grateful for uh because they give you some quests they give you some side quests just like straight to your PDA or whatever the hell at the beginning of every chapter, but then some of them are hidden. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, everyone would be very happy if I got into this, I think, but who knows when that'll happen. I think that... Uh, talk... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm very into them. I think they're mostly good games, except for the first two, Cold Steel, but I'm so... I'm so deep in the hole now that I even have hope for Cold Steel 3 and 4. <laughs> okay. Um, talk to me about Persona 4. Persona 4. Um, you know what? Okay. Here's, my, here's been my thing about Persona uh, for ages. I think the the conservatism of Persona is a little bit upplayed 
Um, I think compared to most JRPGs, they have about the same level of social conservatism. It's just that Persona 4 specifically is the one that a bunch of kids got into when they were gay, like gay teenagers. And then, then we all got on Tumblr and started like learning really bastardized, uh, mediocrit 101. And we're like, oh my God, the themes of this game. That's that's not me. For the record, I watched Giant Bomb play Persona 4 when I was in my 20s. (laughs) Uh, And then I played it myself in my early 30s. I am not, uh, I would not call myself a Tumblr teen who learned uh, ideology through that. Um, I will cop to be in a Tumblr teen. Like I was, that was just on there at the time. Um, I played Persona when I was like, I played Persona 4 when I was like 13 or 14. And I, uh-huh. I got really into the fandom. I was writing fan fiction and like I had a folder saved of fan art. And it Oh re- wow, okay. Yeah, really and it really broke my heart when I was like Yeah, you know, I guess I can't when I reached a point where I'm like, you know what? I guess I can't really uh give it the kind of slack that I was giving it previously, you know? I, I guess I'd never consider because my my ingestion of persona 4 was so casual like i you know i watched some old men play it and then i played it myself um like i played golden a couple years ago five years ago something like that and had a great time yeah i I recognize all the problems of persona but i never thought of like i built my identity on this and then realized it was problematic um which makes a lot of sense for some of the tenor of the persona discussion i guess i think it's it's like persona especially because like you know it's like teenage wish fulfillment stuff so like if you are a gay kid and you're like an early teen and you're like damn this shit is not working out like media told me it would work out persona mm-hmm. is there to be like hey do you want to go to fucking soccer practice and make friends at soccer practice and i'm like damn i would like to make friends at soccer practice it's there for you that's um, true i i do think that maybe some of the um pointing out how conservative it is becomes more obvious when it is a story about teenagers and modernity like you can clearly recognize the things that persona is pointing at right Mm -hmm. which is not true of your average like sword and sorcery rpg yeah like trails is a very trails has some very funny like liberal politics um Mm. but there is there is an abstract layer of like we live in a kingdom and there's a queen and the queen is talking about how she won't jail her political opponents because they have a right to speak Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Persona 4 is just kind of straight up a game about how like um, kids are only gay because society tells them that they're gay and if we just had a better and more accepting society the kids wouldn't need to pretend to be queer anymore Kanji could dye his hair black again and uh, comb it and be normal I do think people overly fixate on Kanji <laughs> undying his hair um I think in the game they actually make a good case for why he would why he would stop bleaching it. Um, uh, I think the more, I think that the the funnier thing to call out is Chie being like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna become a cop because that's how <laughs> I that's how I give back to my community is becoming a rural cop. And it's like, ah, oh, you stupid bastard. She's not even, she doesn't even want to become, like, the cool anime detective, which is, like, the except, everyone loves an anime detective cop. We love Um, Dojima. You know, she's going to be in a fucking, like, police booth, and she's going to be finding lost cats and, like, running down shoplifters. Yeah. There's a, there's a, in the Crossbell Trails games, there's an NPC named Officer Kate, uh, who's just, Mm -hmm. like, 
this random nice lady beat cop that the main character knows, and I feel like that's just going to be Chie. She's just going to stand around the town square in her, like, cop miniskirt and direct <laughs> traffic. And punt cars that get in her way. Oh, man, it's it's so cool that she could just punt enemies out of the battlefield and you just get yes. full XP. I looked yeah. it up. I looked it up, like, a few hours after getting her because I was curious, and I did find, like, a Reddit thread where somebody's like, hey, am I getting full XP from this galactic punt thing? Because it seems too good. And people are just like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. You're getting, you're just killing them in one hit. Yeah, it's just too good. <laughs> it's your, like, um, it's your, um, it's your compensation for Chie's, like, full kit not coming together until, like, level 70. That's true. There's a, there's a period in that mid-game where she's a terrible party member. Yes. Um, yeah. I still... I still have a lot of affection in my heart for Persona, despite it. I think it is... I think, like, its actual gameplay is very unique. And I think despite a lot of its thematic problems, they're just... Like, 4 is just able to write those kids in a way that it's fun to watch them bounce off each other. Like... Yeah. Even even though Yosuke sucks ass, there are still points where everybody, everybody beating the hell out of him for being annoying is very charming. Yeah, uh, I'm world's biggest Rize fan. I think she rules. God, Rize rules so much. <laughs> uh, did you play Golden? Yes, yeah, I played Golden. There's a bit in, like, the the very, like, the 11th hour of Golden where she and Marie develop, like, a Betty and Veronica-style dynamic to the protagonist's <laughs> yes. Archie. And I'm like, as the noted, like, straight ally of our <laughs> of our friend group, I'm like, this rules, actually. No, I love it. I think it's great. Oh. Um, like Rize, I think I think Rize, I think Rize protagonist is like the the to me the canonical pairing of Persona Four, which I know would make everyone mad, but I, don't I mean care. I did it when I played through it, and I actually thought it worked really well because it transforms all of the flirting that she does into just like an actual expression of a romantic relationship. Yes, she's also the one person who like lives the same life as a Persona protagonist about like who you are is a reflection of the people around you. And maybe there is no real you. Like yeah. that's the thing that the protagonist of persona is always going through. That's a thing that I just believe. I think there is no yeah. intrinsic self. And so Risei being the only character who can say that is like, wow, you're, you haven't really figured out for a 14 year old. Well, she had to, she's had it rough. <laughs> she's had a real rough. Um, but it's just also very funny. Like, um, you know, I, I I love the scene where she teaches Marie about Valentine's Day. And it's like, by the way, don't you even think of giving chocolate to my boyfriend? And Marie's <laughs> like, fuck you, I didn't know about Valentine's Day until just now. It's not, you can't call dibs. And then uh, if you date Risei, they do in fact both give you chocolate. <laughs> and you've got to be Great. like, aw, oh, jeez. And then you go home and Nanako gives you chocolate, too. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. She made like a chocolate... <laughs> It's very funny. The model that they use to represent her chocolate is like a recovered small version of the Persona slime, which is very mean. Just <laughs> uh, a weird misshapen lump of chocolate. That's cute. Yeah, I think it's supposed. I think it tastes pretty good. One of their one of their chocolate like doesn't actually look good, but tastes really good, and I can't remember which one it was. Hmm. And then, uh, I think, um, 
I think in the epilogue, Marie as like the weather girl for the town who, because she is God, has actual control over the weather is very funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think as like an additional 11th hour character, Marie is a mostly pretty good addition. Yeah. I, I thought she was fine. Yeah, I like, um, yeah, it's like they definitely make, uh, they definitely make efforts to like integrate her into the party and get her to like talk with the other party members in a way that like, I'm playing Persona 5 Royal right now, and <laughs> they are not integrating the new girl. She is, she- I uh, I didn't even know there was a new girl in Persona Five Royal. I, I Persona Five basically happened where I wasn't paying attention, and I've yeah. only played like six hours of it. Who's the new girl in Persona Five? She Royal. is a she is a gymnast uh, named uh, I think her first name is Sumire Sumire Yoshizawa, um, and she's a very funny character because she's like the new girl who's one year younger than the protagonist and takes to him. I think in a similar way... Wait, this character is not in Persona 5 Royal normally? I've seen no. this character all over the place. Well, they love her. Um, they love her because it's... Uh, she's such a funny character. Because you know how Risei takes to the protagonist immediately and is like, Oh my yes. god, senpai! Oh my god! I love you so much! But she's kind of like... She's kind of having fun with it. Like, she's sort of self-knowingly mm-hmm. being a flirt. But Sumeria yes. has none of it. She's just genuinely like, Oh my god, senpai... Please save my aching, depressed heart. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to teach you how to do gymnastics moves and then talk to you about, like, the pressure that uh, teen prodigies are placed under. <laughs> um, but, it, I, I, but I do like her because it's hard not to like her because they just write her as, like, the sweetest thing ever who keeps having bad results at her gymnastics meets and then you want to, like, protect her and make sure she does well. But yeah, she is, so far at least, she is very siloed off. It's just like, the char- the protagonist just like talks to her occasionally. I think the only other character who's interacted with her si- significantly besides the protagonist at this point is like fucking Akechi. Okay, I, sure. I've heard the three of them referred to as the royal trio, so I'm excited to see whenever the exclusive, uh, whenever the royal content starts kicking in, like, what actually happens between all of these three? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is I figured out why people like Akechi. Um, I think I just understand it now, but I don't agree because the boy's mid as hell. Um, he just he gives off mid vibes. Yeah. I don't get it. He just has <laughs> but no... But I don't think I'm going to play the game, so I will never know. He just has no juice. Like, there's nothing about him that's, like, cool. Um... Or interesting. It's like, I think if you like him, like, you have to believe in the pathos of his character. Um, but I don't believe in the pathos of his character because he's fake as shit. And every time he talks about how, like, his dad abandoned his mom and he's been, like, unloved and unwanted in society, I'm like, you're trying to play me. Uh, fair enough. His, his every disclosure about his tragic home life feels like he's about to ask you for $50. <laughs> and then he's also constantly telling the protagonist, like, it's so strange. I just feel such a connection between us. I'm like, okay, guys, come on. You can, you can bait the yaoi more artfully than this. He doesn't have to literally say it in every single scene.
Uh, all right. Uh, what have I got? I played uh, Donkey Kong Country 3, Dixie Kong's Double Trouble, uh, the Super Nintendo game from 1996, third one of those, uh, which I'd never played before. I'd played Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2 back in the day. Uh, I had revisited them, but it never played the third game, um, which is just one of those again. Uh, but it's a really late, I mean, N64 is coming out in 96, so this is a very late Super Nintendo game. Um, and it has kind of like this pseudo open world where you're like going across a big map within like a bunch of vehicles to the levels. Um, levels are just normal Donkey Kong Country levels. But because of that, there's a lot of like weird shopkeepers and stuff that just, um, because everything's still the pre-rendered graphics, end up evoking, uh, to me, the sort of like weird outsider art like rpgs of like downloadable games from like 10 years ago um or uh just like you go to a weird place and there's a weird jpeg of a guy who tells you like one clue and then you leave and i'm like this is like half of rpg maker games to me on some level um even though this is a very slickly produced rare game the way in which the world interacts just feels interesting and like experimental uh more so than uh the other two games um Otherwise, it's just one of these. I think it's pretty good. I really enjoy it. The, the bosses are more novel than uh, the other two games. Uh, I do think Kitty Kong's a weird freak, though, because he's a baby in a onesie in the jungle. And I'm just like, this is the this is the most foul-smelling creature I've ever, that ever lived. I just know it. He's in footy pajamas in, in the dirt. Like, it's gross. I hate it so much. Oh, I've never heard of this character, but I just Googled him, and I don't like him. Yes. Oh, like, he's got a pacifier. He, like, I understand that, like, Dixie and, and Diddy are, you know, uh, apes that wear clothing, but they're also adults who are supposedly sentient and can talk to people. So I assume they're, like, normal. And, you know, Dixie's got a hair routine. Uh, Kitty Kong is foul. He's, like, definitely, like, smells like, like, like dirt. And uh, it's nasty. He just he evokes nastiness to me. I hate him. <laughs> I think he's so gross. These 3D renders of him that I'm seeing on Google Images are really reminding me of, like... I can't even remember what cereal it was for, but that, like, fucked up 3D cereal mascot from the early aughts. Where he was There's a lot of those. I don't know who you're talking about specifically. Okay, hold on. Um... <laughs> I'm gonna literally Google fucked up cereal mascot. Holy shit, it's the first result. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the Honeycomb Cereal Guy. If you Google Um, Honeycomb Cereal Mascot. Okay. Isn't the Honeycomb Cereal Mascot a... Oh, this guy! Fuck, I forgot about this guy. Yeah, this is what Kitty Kong looks like to me. Oh. Yeah, this guy is like a... 90s Furby, but like, not cute. Like, what if they made a Furby for boys? That's what this guy looks like to me. Yeah. What if they made a Furby for boys so they, like, took out all of the, like, aesthetics that make that a a Furby, like, a good-looking character, and you were just, you're just left with, like, the unnatural proportions and fucked-up anatomy, and you just have to sit with that? Yes. That's Kitty Kong to me. I hate it. Yeah, I forgot all about this guy. I hate that I'm reminded of him. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have no, done it fine. to you. No, it's fine. It's fine. I was like, isn't the isn't the honeycomb cereal mascot a bee? But no, that's Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah. So, um, there you go. 
Uh, that's it for me. I, you know, I did have normal mapping last week, so I'm not, I haven't been gaming. I mean, I'm playing Octopath Traveler 2, but I will talk about that when I'm done with it. I'm only like eight, nine hours in, and that game's like 50 hours long, so. Yeah. The only thing I know about Octopath Traveler 2 is that there's like a, a white mage or cleric guy whose thing is that he like extorts people into joining him somehow. This is, uh, this is very much just like stuff I'm half absorbing off of Twitter yeah, at so, the time. So, uh, there's eight characters, obviously, the Octopath part, and each one has, like, a daytime special and a nighttime special, and Temenos is this guy. He's, like, an inquisitor for the church um, who basically, like, kind of bore witness to, like, a, a like the bishop getting assassinated and thinks the church did it, obviously, but they're covering it up, so he's going to go on a quest to figure it out. Um, he's got, like, a bunch of Bible clues and shit. Um, and his whole thing is at night, if he, he can, like do his inquisition powers on guys to like get them to reveal things and like join him. Oh, okay. Uh, where you, you like have to fight them. And this, the, the game has like a, almost like a press turn or like a stagger system where like, if you hit an enemy with their weak point, it takes away their, like, they have like a shield value. That's usually like one to three or something. And if you take away everyone's shield by hitting them that many times with their weakness, they break and you do way more damage. Um, and for his interrogation thing, he has to like break them with their weaknesses uh, and went like in like a one-on-one -on -one battle. That's like a metaphor for him interrogating them. And once they break, they will join you briefly. <laughs> oh, I'm just looking up pictures of this guy. And I do love when an anime twink is just like so pretty that he's incredibly sinister. Uh, Temenos is great because he's clearly very cheerful and uh, is on the right side of anything because this is like a relatively, you know, I wouldn't say simple game, but it's deliberately a throwback, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think Temenos is going to be evil. He's the one who's going to defeat evil. But he does have the vibes of like a scheming guy who's going to betray you, even though that's not. Yeah. He's just he's, he's just a cool cleric. He's just a he gay has... detective who works for the church, <laughs> and I love him for it. <laughs> he, he has the vibes of like... In the D&D &D party, there's one guy who wants to play a lawful evil character. Yes. And he's just like, uh, and never does anything that is super, like, cartoonishly evil, but it's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I have a code, so I'm working with you guys, and we're gonna stop the bad guy or whatever, but like, you know, I work for the church and I break people's knees. Yes. Yeah, he's, uh, he's become a quick favorite. Um, not like my, like, I think my favorite is the the scholar guy Oswald, who was, um, he was like a mage who's like his like apprentice or someone he's working with. Basically, like burned his family alive to gain magical power and frame him, and he went to jail and then uh, broke out of jail, Count of Monte Cristo style, and is on a quest for revenge. And I love him; he's great. Hell yeah! Um, a lot of great guys in Octopath Traveler too. Um, I'm not gonna drag us back to trails for too long, but uh. Trails has its own version of uh, Tomenos, I think, and his name is Wazzy Hemisphere. <laughs> Just like you're very suspicious, but ultimately a good guy, like weird little twink dude. Okay, yeah, sure. He, he, uh, Wazzy throws like playing cards at people to kill them. Sick. Uh, Alright, I guess that's it. If you want, we can get into our game club.
our game club this month is Muv Love. Uh, I guess all three of them? <laughs> I guess all three of them. Um, so Muv Love is a trilogy of games uh, developed by Age. Uh, the first one, Muv Love Extra, came out uh, originally in 2003. Uh, its sequel, uh, Muv Love Alternative, came out in 2000. No, 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 not not. <laughs> sorry, the first two games are basically came out together. Mm-hmm. Extra and Unlimited, they both came out in 2003, and then three years later, in 2006, the third game, Muv Love Alternative, came out. Um, these were originally H games uh, that have since been uh, DHified. Um, with the addition of voice acting and stuff, um, and eventually came to Steam. Uh, I think they hit, the Vita versions are on, came out in English, right? I think that's true. I believe it's true. Yeah. I played this on my Steam Deck. I bought it off Steam. <laughs> I I played through it the year before I got my Steam Deck. <laughs> so, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's, it's pretty tragic. It's very funny because I, when I bought the Steam Deck, I was like, wow, this is the VN machine. I don't think I played a single visual novel on it so far. Oh, that's like half of what I've, I like, you know, like I'm playing uh, Octopath on my Steam Deck, but I mostly use it as a before bed, I'm chipping away at a visual novel. Thing. It's it's become my uh it's become my uh well it's mostly become my trails box to be honest like this is yeah, what I've been fair. playing all the trails games on um yeah when I get to them I'm gonna have to figure out if I want to do Steam Deck or if I want to break out the PSP because I do love using a PSP for PSP games I wouldn't be able to tell you the differences between the PSP and yeah. uh, don't and- worry I'll I'll figure it out I can do some research there's that there's that guy on YouTube who compares all the versions of games. Um, that I always use when I need this. Um, anyway, uh, so <laughs> do you want to summarize briefly Move Love, I guess, before we get into this? Sure. I said I wrote 2,000 uh, words of plot summary. That was mostly for me to organize my own thoughts. I'm not actually going to yeah. read all this. Um, okay, that's fine. But the 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 high concept of, Muv, of the Move Love trilogy, right, is that the... All th- so all three games star uh, a teenage dirtbag named Shirogane Takeru, who is a... He's just a normal teenage harem protagonist uh, who lives in modern Japan. Muv Love Extra is about um, how his entire life gets uprooted when a super rich, mysterious heiress named Mitsurugi Meya moves into his town demolishes most of his neighborhood, builds a giant mansion right next to his house, and declares her intent to, like, seduce and marry him. Um, mm. And Takeru's just kind of like, what? Because <laughs> he's kind of that guy. Um, and Extra is, you know, just sort of him and Maya and his childhood friend Sumika and uh, a bunch of other girls that he hangs out with at school you know, getting into hijinks and, uh, you know, building camaraderie and having, like, high school adventures. And then eventually is going to date one of them and there's going to be some drama about, uh, you know, who he's dating. And, uh, you know, they're both going to go through some character development and then pledge to be together forever. That's extra. Yes. And then uh, Unlimited is about Takiru waking up in his room and discovering that he has been somehow transported to an alternate universe, so bear with me here, where in, uh, where in just a monstrous hive mind alien species invaded Earth uh, in the 80s 
And since then, humanity has been fighting a losing mech war against these aliens called the Beta um, across all of Earth. Uh, all of Takaru's friends are now mech pilots, and their school is now a UN army base. And so Takaru goes to the base and is able to sort of, like, get himself instated on their mech team and is training to be a mech pilot with them while trying to figure out what happened to him and can he ever get home. Uh, and that doesn't go well. <laughs> so Alternative is about Takiru waking up again with all of his memories of everything that happened in uh, Move Love Unlimited, including humanity losing the war against the Beta and deciding he's going to go, like, full uh full anti-hero mode in order to uh try and avert though that timeline and win the war no matter the cost um and i i would say though i would say that's the high level pitch yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) i so i had always this was like for a long time this was sort of like a legendary game on the periphery of my understanding um um Love, i think it's i think it's alternative has like the highest rating on visual novel database i think that's right wow i'm not gonna double check right now it's like but those Love is one of those that's just been regularly like the old heads who yeah talk about visual novels always talk about Love in like hushed tones because because i got into anime and like anime derived japanese media in mm-hmm. like uh it really in like uh middle like late middle school and early high school and on the message boards i was on Muv love was always like you know legendary because uh what year what year is this for the record oh man don't me. Make me. <laughs> so this would be uh like 2009 2010 okay yeah sorry about that no no it's fine i it, 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 Typically, does not bother me. I'm just like, man. In 2009, I was uh, working and watching Giant Ball and play Persona 4 <laughs> yeah. every morning. So we, so we actually got into Persona 4 at the same time. It's just com- different <laughs> yes. life stages. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and and so like, this is the type of game that's always going. It was basically, I think, designed to be a big hit with the old heads, um, especially mm-hmm. like. English, especially, like, uh, Western old heads who, like, had to play, like, a a fan translation or literally no Japanese, because it was like, oh, it starts off as, like, this unserious, goofy-ass harem, but then there are giant robots and the military and conspiracies and, uh, you know, it's very dark and a lot of people die, and it's just, like perfectly engineered for like uh, some old head guy on a form to be like you guys don't understand this is peak media (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fair um and so i always wanted to play it just because i had heard it discussed in like you know the hushed tones and i knew the high concept and i'm like i mean that seems interesting i love this kind of shit i would love to play this um and i finally got around to it um and it's it's good it's not peak media, but I honestly think it's pretty good. I'm surprised yeah. at surprised at how much heart there is. Um, uh, and I think that was mostly what drew it to me. Is I think it is. Uh, I think it is. I think it ultimately is written with a lot of heart, and I think there's a lot to invest into in like the various characters and in general. That's what I. That's what I like about it. In addition to 
the military mecha and the hardcore stuff and the scene where Takaru's science teacher turned uh turned like scheming mad scientist and the UN commander discuss American imperialism for ten minutes. Oh, it's sick. While, ta- uh, while Takaru is listening and going like, man, I don't understand any of this shit. I'm 14. Um, that's fair. Uh, how much... Actually, you probably played this, you played this far enough back, this was not a problem. Uh, Takaru is voiced sometimes, and he's voiced by Suichiro Hoshi, whose most famous role is one Kira Yamato in Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did think his voice felt like complete like whenever i would hear it i'm like that's not Takaru's voice <laughs> i it's weird because kiriyamato is such a vapid nothing of a man yeah um that i can i think of takaru as like a character that like a distinct sound and like yeah. personality and i think sotra hoshi does a great job with that he's also the he voice does. of goro akechi your favorite guy <laughs> that's also really funny <laughs> um can you play persona 5 role in japanese or is that dub only you can i don't um okay i'm playing it in english um, yeah i would i would too yeah i was just curious yeah um, it's uh yeah it, it's it is so funny because kira kiri yamato is such a nothing and takiru is my shitty son yes yes um so um when i'd finished fate like all the fate i was going to play until extra ccc comes out um i was looking for another big visual novel project and i think everyone on earth would really like me to play higurashi and umineko <laughs> but you had talked up muv love and it, it just immediately more appealing to me as a thing to do Muvlove um, is three has the advantage of being three visual novels um it was also just like I like the aesthetic. I like you got these very like 2003 looking girls with their hair vent hair, like their air vent hair and um, the big the, the harem hijinks. Yes, the harem hijinks seem like pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily looking for media that's all fucked up. Like I, I was like, I'm going to play extra and maybe I won't play alternative because I know that's the really fucked up mecha serious one. Um, mm-hmm. And I did take some time off in between the first two and the, the third game. The third game is as long as the first two mm-hmm. also for the record. That's why we'll probably end up breaking them up kind of like that. Um, but when I did chip away, I just found myself immediately charmed um, by this Betty and Veronica. Like we talked about scenario here yeah. where Takeru is like Takeru and Sumika's friendship feels like childhood friends in a way that like a lot of anime has like the childhood friends and yeah. thing um but they bicker in a way that reminds me of like people i know like it, yeah. it, it feels like culturally like more open like meant to be for an audience that maybe doesn't interact like japanese kids do where the girl is always like the wilting flower they go around and like the whole thing is like sumika does like uh toku guy punches at you all the time like he's just one of those kind of characters yeah they're like bickering sibling energy uh that hides their feelings is just really good and honest to yeah. me i love it i think it's great <laughs> i i think yeah i i think like takiru and sumika's relationship is like one of the highlights of extra yeah. because they are written like you can tell they're childhood friends because both of them devolve when they're around each other like they just yes. you can see they're like high schoolers but you can see the like preschoolers that they, that they used to be um yes throughout the game you I, get uh, these you get these little flashbacks of like from like a child you know child sumika's diary and she's writing about like the stupid shit that she and takiru would get up to and then you see mm-hmm. the the present day timeline and you're like you guys are just on the same bullshit yeah i uh, when we, when i did the um fate 
uh, Norma Kim, I talked about how like I had a hard time getting into Sokka's story because she's meant to be the childhood friend. Um, and in that, but it's so like, she's just like been your wife since you were eight and she just does the dishes and cooks for you and takes care of you. And I hate that version of like a childhood friend relationship mm -hmm. it just never i i cannot attach to it. i'm like stop being a doormat if you had feelings as a boy fucking say something yeah. um and watching sumika steamroll takaru is like their going relationship is just good i think it's yeah. uh i think it's more interesting and um i see this version of this and i understand this is its own trope but i see it so much less often um and sumika does stuff for takaru but yes. it's like she comes to his house to, like, bang on his door every morning and wake him up, because otherwise the dude is gonna sleep through school, you know? It's yes. like, it's not like, she's not a wife, she's like an alarm clock, you know? In yes. the way that feels like, um, in a way that, like, when you hear that, like, oh yeah, his parents used to, like, just, like, give her a key so that she could come in and they didn't have to wake him up because she was willing to just, like, beat on his door and be like, hey, idiot, we're going to school. It feels, yes. it feels a lot more genuine, frankly, than, yeah, like the version of the childhood friend where it's like, oh, she is your backup wife in case you, yeah. uh, in case it doesn't work out with any of the other love interests. Um, um, she also is like a, a human tornado in a sense where you're like, she needs someone like Takaru to kind of curb her worst impulses because she'll just like get into trouble constantly. Yeah, yeah like they, they have a, I think they actually work very well as a couple because like they're similar people, but in a way where they like make each other better instead of worse when they're together. Like they yes. can, through their bickering, they kind of curb each other's worst disaster impulses, you know? Yes. Like, they keep a leash on each other. Um, yeah. You know, in a way that, like, Sumika's there to punch Takeru if he ever gets, like, too in his head for his own good. And he's there to be, like, hey, idiot, when she's genuinely being kind of an idiot. Yes. Oh. Uh, and, th and then Maya shows up, uh, who is too cool to need a guy in her life. She doesn't know this, but it's true. Oh, God, Maya, Maya's just the best. I love her yes. so much. Every, like, um... She is, like, she's a modern samurai, basically. She's just, like, the yes. samurai lady. Like, she has a big sword, and she knows the, she knows, like, the secret sword techniques of her school, you know. But because she is, like, this powerful, rich samurai lady, she just, you know, she's got that very charming anime thing of, like, oh, she doesn't understand the real world. The ticket machine talks to her, and she talks back to it, because she thinks there's, like either a real person there or like the computer is sentient. Mm -hmm. I think one of, there's a really great bit where uh, Takaru and Sumika are doing the thing where they like are in their own rooms in their own houses, but they're talking across the alleyway and Sumika asked where Maya is. And Takaru is like, Oh, she's watching TV. She just found out that there are other channels besides the news and she's transfixed. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't get to see that, but it's such a charming image of Maya, like, discovering, uh, like, you know, nighttime dramas and being like, oh my god. Yes. One of my... Uh, Maya... Oh, oh go ahead. I, I wanted to call out another favorite Maya moment, which is, like, there's a bit where, uh, in terms of uh, geography, it's established that their school is at the top of, like, a big hill overlooking the town. So there's a bit yes. where Takeru and Maya, being like a little bit more athletic than Sumika, are both like talking to each other and they're walking to school and they're leaving her behind. And like a very, a very flagging Sumika yells out that like Maya better stop or she'll curse her and her family. 
And Maya says, like, that's impossible. My family's lived on sacred ground for generations just to prevent such <laughs> petty curses from reaching us. And she just takes it entirely seriously and says, like, the wild-ass possible thing to diffuse it. And it's like, that's Maya. She's a delight. Yeah. Uh, Maya's, like, the head of a Zaibatsu uh, super evil, but, like, in a nebulous, non-threatening way, because it's a comedy harem anime. Yeah. Um, it can't... I think it, it has to be stressed that they do bulldoze his entire neighborhood. But yes, they, to build a new mansion for her to live in. Yeah, but they do so by, like, paying everyone who lives there, like, hundreds of millions of yen, so they move somewhere else. Like, it's, yes. it's stated that all of Takaru's neighbors are like, well, bye, idiot. Like, <laughs> we're all moving. Oh. Yeah, and they, they build this huge, like, castle that just, like, kind of has one door that, like, butts onto Takaru's house. <laughs> they, they build a huge castle, and then I'm like, okay... There's that, when you see it from overhead, it's like a huge mansion, and then Takiru yeah. and Sumika's house, and then a long passageway <laughs> that connects the the castle and the house. But then yeah. it's stated that if you just open where the passage terminates, which is like, aside from Takiru's room, that's where Maya's yeah. bedroom is. So yes. <laughs> she has to walk through the whole corridor. <laughs> Just to get to her bedroom, because they put yeah. her and Takaru's bedrooms together to try to, like, trick him into doing the harem thing where he opens the weird door and May is changing her clothes in there. It's so yes. goofy and stupid. Yeah. Uh, Extra was always sold to me as, like, oh, this is the one you gotta get through if you want to get to the real shit. But it's very charming, actually. Uh, yeah, I think Extra is a great fun. Uh, it might be my favorite. I think there's, like, interesting stuff in the other ones, but Extra is the best time I was having overall. Yeah. Um, extra is the because one that, once like, get to the Extra is the one that gets you, like, invested in the characters, and it's the reason yes. you care about, like, seeing what happens to them in an alternate universe. Yeah, once we get to the other ones, um, there's a lot of periods where people are sitting talking about uh troop movements and uh histories of aliens and i, I glaze over anytime a visual novel goes on too long about some stupid shit i don't care about <laughs> i do love the troop movements but i understand i understand um, do you want to run down the other girls real quick before we move on to talk about yeah the totally. whole thing so so uh oh now you got uh, it. okay so <laughs> first off um we have uh we have uh, Makoto, your favorite, your your best friend, who I point out in Extra is a guy. He's a fanboy. Yes. He's honestly, uh, like, and, ahead of the times, I think, in terms of, like, anime fanboys. Yes. Um, but in the other two games in the alternate universe is a girl. Mm-hmm. And this I was is, like, are they going to do, like, a reveal with this, that he was o- always a girl in, like, the Extra timeline? But no, seemingly he just has a different gender in the different timeline. Yeah, like, they don't really dwell on it. Um, it causes Takaru, it causes Takaru some consternation. Um, yes. but it honestly reads more like he's more comfortable being attracted to Mikoto as a boy than as a girl. It's an interesting yes. thing we'll have to wrap back around to. Yeah. Unlimited has a lot of that particular dynamic. <laughs> um, and then there's, uh, Chizuru, Chizuru, who's the, uh, class president or class rep uh who is just a classic class rep character she's got big glasses she's very self-serious she pu- pushes herself too hard uh pushes everyone the else I too hard with. because she holds herself to like the insane standards yes yes this is the me in in this i'm like oh yes i i recognize this character <laughs> she's got this line 
that she says, I think, in the beginning of her route. She has this line where she says to Takeru, like, um, you know, there's no such thing as luck. It's just how hard you work. And if something bad happens to you, it's because you weren't working hard enough. And then she turns around and walks away and it's like, oh, oh, you got some problems. Yes. You eventually, if you go down her route next year, you do find out all of her problems. Mm -hmm. Um, All the side characters have like a full route that is very not part of the main story if you pursue them in extra. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you want to get into those. They aren't actually particularly relevant. Um, yeah, it's like, it's just kind of, I think it's maybe more interesting to talk about, like, when we get to Unlimited, the way that their story content in Extra is, like, translated into the new context. Yes. You know? um, and then her her rival is Ayamine, who is the weird girl, uh, who rarely says anything, and when she does, it's never serious. Yeah. Um, you can never quite tell how much she is, like, meant to be a space cadet versus she is fucking with you um and the answer is she's always fucking with you she's always she's like the slacker who loves to mess with people so of course she's going to be like in a bitter duel to the death with like the over responsible class rep you know yes yeah those two those Uh, two fucking hate each other (laughs) yes uh anytime you 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 proceed to get them on to be friends is good though i love i love the way they play off each other yeah they have a they have a good dynamic um it's very funny the one time Takaru imagines them having a Yuri moment. <laughs> he, like, he, like, imagines, like, um, oh, they fight each other all the time, but what if they kissed? And then he immediately berates himself. He's like, that would never happen, idiot. Because <laughs> he doesn't know about uh, Yuri. And then and then you have uh, uh, Miki, who is the cat girl. She's the funny little cat. Yes. I, uh, I I love her. I have such an affection for, like, when an anime girl is just, like, very small and goofy, but also powerful, because she's also, yes. like, the head of an archery school. Yeah, she's, she's like, an archery savant, uh, but she has performance anxiety, because she's, like, she's really energetic and really positive, but she has a lot of, like, what if I disappoint people, like, mm. anxiety. Um, and she's cute, and she's very funny. Because despite being very good at archery, she's kind of a klutz the rest of the time. She's yeah. just like a weird, funny disaster. Yeah, the girl. like her introduction is like uh, she's like the last person to get to school, and they like peek their heads out into the hallway, and she's just like drawn as like a little fucking mecha arc disaster, just like careening yes. through the hallway and crashing into shit, and they're like all cheering yes. her on to like just run in a straight line and get to class before the bell starts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main people. Uh, you have your two teachers, uh, the, the dizzy teacher and the serious teacher. Yeah. In my summary, I described, uh, Marimo as like, uh, Takaru's fail girl home teacher. Yeah. She's like, she's the teacher from K-On, basically. Yeah. And they're both, uh, I think my understanding is that they're both kind of the teachers, the teachers from yes. K-On. Like, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's very much the influence. And... Yeah, so there's Marimo, who's the homeroom teacher, who's, like, more of a big sister than, like, a proper adult figure, really. Yes. Like, she is sort of a failure in a way that, like, makes her, puts her on the level of the of the kids. And, of course, Takuru yeah. can date her, but I didn't go for that one, because I don't want to see that. It's, like, a weird comedy. That It's not very good. Yeah. It is not a route that I would recommend people take. I did see every route of the first two games did not see every route in unlimited because the route difference is like 0.5 percent of the game yeah i did see every um 
every route in Unlimited for some reason. I guess oh, not you- Unlimited in uh, in Alternative. Sorry, um, I did see the Unlimited. I did do all of Unlimited. Yeah, because you could just skip through ninety percent of the game. You know. Yeah. Yes. And then, um, and then, and then you have Yuko who is uh, drives a sports car. Uh, wears leather like, under her like science outfit. Yes, it is is the very serious like fuck these kids science teacher. I love her. She's she's perfect. <laughs> I I love. I think one of my favorite like uh, character relationship constructs in extra is when her and marimo and takiru to get together and they're just his moms like yes <laughs> they just but also but also yuko uses that to like torment marimo to be like yeah ah you know the boys all have a crush on you because you're like the ditzy teacher uh and i i'm gonna make you uncomfortable by like, dressing you up in clothes like cosplay in front of takeru and takeru's like please do not do this and marimo is just like warbling mm-hmm. she's just uh she's just like a she's just like um Asahina from uh, from Suzumi Haruhi at that point. Yeah, and then at the same time, like they've known each other for so long that if there's any person in this cast who can like ever make Yuko stop doing some bullshit, it's Marimo because like they're. Yes. They, I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. They read like they're fucking. <laughs> when they talk to me, I'm just full on prosy D voice. Oh, they fucking. I I read Yuko as someone who would consider such things beneath her notice. She's too busy, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just they, they, you know they hint at this a bit. Um, they they play certain scenes uh, suggestively, like yes. uh, um, Yuko says to Marimo at one point, like um, um, I see you every day. Like I'm not excited about hanging out with you in a way that's. A little bit ambiguous whether she means just that they work together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely true of, like, original timeline duo. I feel yeah. like the, the dynamic is definitely different in the war yeah. timeline. In the alternate universe, they're definitely, like, farther apart. Um, yeah. Mostly because Yuko in the alternate timeline is way eviler. <laughs> also, they're, like... Cl- Part of the thing that I think is interesting about that is they're more the same character in, in the war timeline. Um... And then Marimo is very serious yeah. and does care a lot more about like getting things done. Is really on the ball, um, and Yuko's just evolved into her best worst self. Is truly a evil mastermind. Yeah, uh, she's so good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the um, I wanted to say one of the things that I like the best about um, Extra is that one of the things that I tend to not like in in romance focused VNs is. Sometimes I think there's a tendency for you to, like, choose a route, and every other character disappears except the girl that you've chosen. Um, mm-hmm. But Extra, defi- Extra like, avoids this very strenuously, and, like, no matter who Takeru is dating, all of the other girls are, like, around and playing various roles and uh, just, like, being involved in the story in a way that yeah. I think feels very, like good and natural it makes them feel like a friend group rather than just like takiru's harem um yes this is true one of the big extra plot beats is everyone gets roped into being part of like the lacrosse tournament which is the analog for the mech war that you're going to get into in the other games mm-hmm. as everyone has to like learn how to work together and get over their differences and, yeah. and be a team and like harness their strengths to be like role yes. players in a in a strategic dynamic yeah, but it does mean that a lot of the game is everyone interacting together because they all have to do this one thing. They're, like, mm-hmm. there's also like 
the cook-off or who's going to make the dinner that Takeru likes the most. But, like, everyone is involved in that. Even characters who are not romantic interests show up and cook for that. Yeah, Makoto's there. (laughs) He's being, being like, he's being, like, headhunted by Maya's mate. Like, they have a a weird thing going on. But even, like, the main, because, like, really is Maya and Sumika's the main romantic interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, Every day at school, you get to pick which of them, which of them there's lunches you're going to eat. But that is a scene where everyone stands around and like eggs you into one direction or the other and then eats the food that you didn't pick. Yeah. Um, Like it's always everyone involved. Like it is a really tight group of people. I'm really charmed by. Yeah, there are some scenes where they play it like, you know, you choose which lunch you want to eat. But there's some scenes where they play it like Takiru is really being influenced in his choice by like you know mickey being really into one of the foods and really wanting to eat it so he chooses the other one so she gets to eat it you know yeah Um. exactly uh it's very charming there's a lot of multi-character scenes which i just feel like you don't i don't see a lot of in the visual novels i've played where there's like there's just like six people standing around talking yeah they they have a lot of fun with like uh you know the sprites bobbing around and like doing little Mm. things in the background um you know they they do some they, do good. Uh, they also do a lot of chibi work, which yes. I love. I love the goofy comedy bits in this game. The chibi arc is so good. I, you know, I found a screenshot that I took, which is just like chibi Tama just like standing there with her like cat ears <laughs> and tail with like a nonplussed expression on her face. And I just keep posting that on Twitter as a reaction image because it's so good. Yeah. She looks so tired uh, of the world. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the chibi art is, is really, is really good. Yeah, that's the stuff that I ended up, uh, it's weird, because, like, we you get to Unlimited, and it's much more serious, uh, overall. Um, but because the two games are mostly, like, they're one package, and you're, I, I played them together, I feel like you're meant to play them together. Yeah. Um, you do feel Takeru's, like, deep longing for the goofy day-to-day hijinks that just don't exist in the same way unlimited unlimited yeah. has comedy bits it has lighthearted bits there's a bit where like your bedroom gets brought with you into the present uh, into this new universe and so you mm. p- you pick up your like game boy and there's a bit where maya gets briefly obsessed playing the game boy when you tell her it's like a training computer <laughs> and she's like i have to beat this this vertical shmup and i'm s- staying up till three in the morning trying to clear it <laughs> yeah and uh yeah that's very cute i uh uh, Mayan Unlimited is so good. Um, uh, but I want to, I want to save for talking about her when we kind of like formally move on, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's good. Um, and they have things like that. Like they have, um, what is it? They have that, there's that, there is that scene in Unlimited where Takeru's like, so what do you all do for fun? And is like, I juggle. And then they do like they go to the cheapy art of just like a little animation of her juggling, and yes. Takeru being like, "I really don't know how to respond to this." Yeah, everyone is playing like analog, like old timey games, and he's just very confused about this. Because uh, the one thing about Extra is everyone's obsessed with the Virtual On clone. Yes, uh, Takeru and Mikoto specifically are obsessed with like going to the arcade and getting in the mech simulator pods and, like, yes. playing this mech combat game. Um, I like the way they recontextualize it in Unlimited, because in Extra, you only ever see him lose. 
Um, yes. And then you get to um, Unlimited, and his gaming skills actually have a very big influence on his piloting ability. And you realize, like, mm-hmm. oh, he's good. It's just that Makoto's, like, way better at this game. Yes. Um, I thought that was fun. There's a great scene where uh, they have, like, a two-on-two fight with... Uh, it's uh, it's Takeru, Sumika, Makoto, and Maya, and you just kind of you kind of get to choose which girl, uh, you're partnered up with. Um, mm-hmm. and so just a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun stuff there. I love how happy Maya is if she ends up on Makoto's team and thus wins. You can win, I think, in the pair battle. Really, I never yes. successfully did it. I don't think it really changes that much, but you do. There is a. There is a. I think there's one set of routes that would allow you to win. Hmm. Interesting. Um. But um. There's. Uh, I guess the last thing about extra. There is some weird bits in extra where they start dropping towards the end hints about uh you waking up like it's like oh you you were you were talking about like the robot people in your sleep. Uh, when you wake up, when you're like on the school trip at the hot springs, mm-hmm. um, that is good and weird and interesting. Yeah. Seeing that stuff start to collide, trying to project what the plot of Unlimited was, knowing what that it exists, <laughs> um, was fascinating. There's a bit where Yuko like substitute teaches for Takeru's class and just goes on like a giant, um, just goes on a giant rant about alternate dimensions and like yes. stuff in a way that's just such a funny flag for like, hey. This is going to be important. Dimensional yep. travel. Yeah. She she had a thought while she was playing Fantasy Star 2 or something. Because <laughs> uh, the bit where she's like, I was playing some video games on the Dreamcast becomes really important that she like had this thought while she was gaming mm-hmm. uh, later. <laughs> I love that she games, honestly. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Um, uh, do you have anything about Extra specifically or did you want to... Let's see. I move on to Unlimited. Think, I think I covered everything. Um, All right. No, yeah, I got I got everything basically. Yeah. So yeah, in in unlimited, there's the beta, the aliens who come from space that have taken over. It's much everything is much more serious. No one no one has fun anymore. Um, Sumika's not there in this new universe. Yes. Um, Maya is the twin sister slash body double for the the shogun. <laughs> yeah, they you find out Maya is like the fucking. She's like the secret. She's the secret member of the Imperial family who's been, like, yes. kind of given to the UN as, like, a goodwill gesture is the implication yeah. that I got. Um, yeah. Because there's a whole thing where, um, you know, there's a bunch of alternate history stuff. So they briefly lost mainland Japan to the beta. Um, yeah. The Japanese government did. Um, and then they had to they had to recapture significant parts of the island with uh, the help of the UN and specifically the American army. So mm-hmm. the UN and the Americans have like territory in Japan and there's a, uh, you know, there's tension around that. And you get the sense that like, you know, they're not, uh, Takeru and his classmates are not part of the Japanese military. They're part of the UN military. And that is important. Yes. And specifically also an imperial Japanese military. Yes. Like. Because, because there's some wacky alt, alt history stuff. I believe yeah. World War II did not happen, right? Um, I think it might have, but it went really differently because it doesn't really split off until they go to space in the 50s, right? Yeah, because they basically they go to space. I think I said the 80s is when the t- invasion starts, but 
Now, they go to space in the 50s, and that's when they find that, like, the Beta are on the moon. Um, they didn't come from the moon, but they have, like, colonized the moon. And they make the leap over to Earth. I Maybe that's in the 80s? Um, uh-huh. Uh, but, but, yeah, it doesn't... It, a lot of the... It doesn't. Oh right. What, so what? I'm looking this up on the wiki. What happens Thank in World you. War II is uh, America nukes Germany, not Japan. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and specifically because there's no um, there's no ja- bombings in Japan, uh, the Empire of Japan kind of continues on, um, and so the, like Japanese culture does not immediately get Westernized until. The and so when the beta land, it's like Imperial Japan, which has lost World War II but continues to be Imperial Japan. Mm. Yeah, and the Soviets are still around too because the Cold War is completely blown up by the beta existing. Yes, yeah, because they, in the fifties they go into space and find find the beta, and the beta come back. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, there's they have a line. They have a line that Yuko quotes from the astronaut who, like, discovered the beta on the moon where he says, the moon is hell. Yes. Um, and they talk about a very awful, like, doomed-sounding, like, phase of the war where they were sending people to the moon to try to fight the beta, and that was, that just went terribly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, be- okay, it- mm-hmm. I found the bit on the wiki. So after World War II, Japan like surrenders to the allies and thus the um, they're integrated into like the new global like UN government. But because they were on the wrong side of the war, the shogunate loses power and it's given to a UN diet that has like, you know, free and clear elections in Japan, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, which continues to be the weird tension between the, the diet, which is the UN government and the shogunate, which is the traditional nationalist Japanese government into this is more stuff for uh, alternative mm-hmm. big part of alternative is a, a coup that like a Mishima style coup of Japan that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's a lot more sort of backgrounded in unlimited because unlimited is basically just like, it's weird because I went through, I went through all of unlimited expecting I would see the beta at some point and you just don't. Uh-huh. No, the one time uh, Takeru in, like encounters them in the simulator, it's like just a shadow. It's like a, just a yeah, like a silhouette of a weird thing. Unlimited is very much more like to, it, it's like it, the focus of Unlimited is Takeru's like emotional journey, right? It's his journey yeah. from waking up in this weird world and being like, "Oh, what the hell is this? I want to go back." To being like, you know, making actual connections in this world and learning to live in it and being like. You know, I, I can't find a way back. I don't know how I would get home. So I guess I would be willing to, like, live in this world and fight to to protect it and prevent humanity from dying. And then it all gets ripped out from under him. Yes. So what eventually happens in um, Unlimited after after a lot of, like, it's a lot more serious, but there still are hijinks. Like, um, yes, and but the, the hijinks are all about Takeru being a fuck up normal person in a world where everyone's like a been training as a soldier for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and him realizing that he needs to like man up and start learning responsibility and like collective response, like understanding with people to work together. Mm-hmm. But also because he brought with him gamer knowledge, <laughs> he is a 
mecha piloting savant because he knows things like flight frame buffering <laughs> i love and what a double to, jump is i love when he tries to explain the concept of like action queuing and everyone's yes. like what the fuck are you talking about but then they try it and they're like oh this works actually yeah <laughs> He's like he's he, he he trying to explain what a jump cancel is to people who've never touched a video game before. Yeah. And he talks about how like, you know, when you tell your mech to do an action, you don't have to wait for it to go back to a neutral stance. You can like as after you have done the action, tell it to do another action and then you can just do a bunch of stuff faster than you would be able to normally. And everyone is like, "Where did you get this idea?" And he's like thinking in his head like, "Hmm." video games <laughs> uh, yeah and so you know there's like it's like Takaru sort of like training and then you know coming to this realization and then there's a sequence where they're having like mecha not quite monster of the week adventures because they aren't fighting any beta but like you know they get into a problem and then they have to solve it and one of the one or more of the girls is like spotlighted in yes. the course of this, a lot of this stuff feels very Evangelion inspired to me. You know, they they extremely do the we have to use all the electricity in Japan for a sniper shot Ava episode. It's sick in, I, in Unlimited. It's so good. I Tama having to snipe a falling spacecraft out of the sky is so fucking yes. cool. Yeah, it's genuinely great. Yeah, and then um, what eventually happens is that on Christmas Eve. Uh, Takeru introduces the idea of having a Christmas party um, yes. in order to, like, promote base morale. Um, and so as they are sort of uh, preparing for that party, you get the sense that uh, some shit is going down in the background. And then you find out sort of as the party is going on that basically the UN has decreed that, like, humanity is giving up the war. They have been secretly building, like, a colony fleet of spaceships in orbit around Earth, and they're going to put, like, as many people as they can safely fit onto those ships and just jet off for a new planet entirely. And then everybody who has to stay behind is going to uh, basically go on, like, a suicide attack to try to decimate the Beta as much as possible and prevent them from following humanity. Um, because the the American military has invented, like, super nukes using beta like material called g-bombs and so they're basically going to like g-bomb 90 percent of the existing uh surface area of earth basically it's crazy um and you know and there's really nothing that takiru or any of the other girls can like do about it and most of them are sentenced to just like be in this attack so the final part of the game is like uh, Takaru and his love interest on the day that the ships um, that the ships are supposed to leave, you know, does Takaru like you know stay on Earth with his love interest, or does he like ask her to get on the ship and like go to a new colony, and then you know she has their child on the colony if she does go. Mm -hmm. um, and that bit's fucking sad, honestly. Yes, like it's such a, the part where like. Marimo walks into the middle of their Christmas party and they try to like, you know, they're like, hey, uh, drill instructor, we've got we've got some drinks. Uh, they're non-alcoholic, though. Haha. <laughs> and then she just like starts crying because she just got the news. It's like, it's rough. Yeah. 
it really just uh, like, going to talk to Yuko and she's fucking wasted out of her mind. Also, bad scene. Yeah, like that's just uh, in the alternate universe, Marimo is like the drill instructor, and Yuko is like the mysterious scientist who's working on like her secret project in the lab way way down below. Um, yeah, Takaru tells her that he's from this alternate universe, and she is like interested but doesn't a hundred percent believe him. You know, and throughout the game, she like. Helps him remain on the base, but, you know, she doesn't let him in onto any of her projects. And she's yeah. very cagey. And then in that scene, he goes down and she is just, like, completely drunk and just kind of telling him, like, total stuff, like, total nonsense, you know, like, stuff about her project and how she failed and, like, couldn't couldn't stop this project from happening um, in a way that's just, like, you, you just haven't seen her like that beforehand. Um, no. It really, uh, really just comes out of nowhere. It's a super downer ending. Yes. Uh, we haven't talked about Kasumi at all. We should, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the one thing, Kasumi is not there, but the one the one person who is there that isn't really part of Extra is Kasumi, who uh, looks like a robot girl. Uh, she's, like, uh, in, like, this black gown, and she's, like, she's got white hair, and she's got bunny ears, and she she barely speaks, and she's very quiet and mysterious. Um, she's, like, officially, she, li- she is Yuko's ward? Like, yes. Yuko has adopted her. She is Yuko's daughter. Um, and she, she lives in a, a dark lab with a brain in a tube, which you're meant, mo- for all of Unlimited, to think that's probably, like, kasumi's real brain maybe that's like uploaded into this robot girl that's what i thought it was anyway yeah yeah i thought it was like either either it was like literally kasumi's per- or sumika's personality have been uploaded into kasumi or kasumi mm-hmm. was like an ai based on a scan of sumika's brain yes because the thing with kasumi is that you know she is very she's very like she doesn't talk very much and she's not very social but she does like uh, Takaru for like a reasons that he doesn't really understand and sometimes yeah. she just acts in ways that remind him of Sumika and he like tries mm-hmm. to press her and be like hey what what's up with that why do you know this thing that me and Sumika used to do and then she never tells him the reason yeah you go all of them limited not finding out shit about any of this <laughs> even when they even when they make it seem like you're going to find out shit you still don't find out shit yeah Unlimited is weird because, like, I, I really ended up liking it. I think it's, like, all of the training stuff with Sekiro just, like, growing up and learning how to relate to other people and be responsible, I think, really works. Yeah. is like, a character arc. Um, but the end of it gives you the sense of, like, it. sometimes things just don't line up and history moves on without you. And yeah. it doesn't matter how good a soldier you are when the world's ending. Yeah, because the, the, uh, the, the Space Colony Project is referred to as Alternative 4. Um, so, like, the Alternative 4 news comes down, like, the day after Takeru and the rest of his squad get promoted to full pilots. So there's very mm-hmm. much a sense of, like, they couldn't do anything. Like, they they didn't even enter the war um, properly by the time that it was already lost, you know? Um, there's a real sense, and there's, like, a real sense, retrospectively, that, like, oh, they, like, wasted their time. Sort of, you know, because they did things the way you're supposed to do them, and it had no effect on anything that was happening. Hmm. Yeah, it's just sad. <laughs> That's it. 
nothing nothing left to say at that point for i mean that's like literally how it ends it's like well i guess you're gonna either go go into space uh but or probably stay behind send your girlfriend off into space and fight the final fight and do your best the end yeah. real bummer ending <laughs> the idea that they would like some like that's it and then three years later there's another game i would have been out of my mind yeah i i read in doing my background research i read that like the length of time between unlimited and alternative became like mimetic because <laughs> people yeah. people would like talk about people would talk about like the major world events that would resolve before alternative came out you know <laughs> <laughs> and there's a meme to ask like you know oh is alternative done yet <laughs> cuz yeah it it really feels like in a sense it you know in a sense it feels like the plot does not start until alternative happens um, no, even um, though there's there's great stuff um, in the um, in extra and unlimited, but, yeah, um, but it is mostly like I'd, a character thing. Um, yeah, um, I think. Do you want to move to? Oh, oh, go ahead. I just I wanted to say about unlimited. Um, yeah, I think the character writing in unlimited is really good. I really like the yes. way that I think it feels very considered in like the depictions of like. Uh, the alternate versions of Takeru's classmates and how, like, mm. um, how, you know, how... I think it does a really good job of keeping, like, the core personality similar. Um, but you get to see, like, the ways they have changed because they are raised in, like, a different environment. Um, one example I really like is how, like, in the extra universe, Maya feels like this fish-out-of-water, like, modern samurai lady, but in Unlimited... Everybody is a modern samurai lady. So Maya feels like so much more normal. And she's just yes. like, you know, she's still a little bit off kilter. Um, she talks about how she has difficulties talking with people, but she integrates so much better in Unlimited when like everyone has to train to be like an, an expert soldier. Um, yes. I think her uh, her attempts to get <laughs> Takeru to learn shogi so they can be shogi buddies together are so cute. Um, and then we already talked about her bit with the game guy. Um, like, uh, there's that bit with, uh, you know, in the extra version, in the extra universe, like, Chizuru, like, doesn't know her dad. Um, I think she says that, you know, like, um, he left her mom and her mom has never said who her dad is. Um, in the alter in the unlimited and alternative universe, like her, a lot of her things that she is the daughter of like the prime minister of Japan and the head of the UN Diet, um, and I like how that kind of like reflects back into the extra universe, and you get a sense of like, you know, like oh, this is the kind of person that her dad was, even if in the extra universe it's not like literally, maybe it's not literally the same guy, um, mm. but it sort of like adds a adds a context to it. Um, and then similarly, 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 I don't know why that was trouble for me. Uh, like her, her drill sergeant personality, like you see how she is the squad leader initially because she just like yeah. has that personality to become the person who's in charge. And her hard assness is a lot more appreciated in like the extinction war universe. That's true. Uh, I do think it's interesting how she does not become a squad leader when you get into the larger group at the end of Alternative. It takes a different kind of squad leader. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's 
it like it works for training because they have to kind of like do things by the book there. Yes. Um, yes. But when they become like Yuko's personal black ops, it's like you need you need somebody who's a little more flexible. She becomes like yeah. the number two. Yeah. Um, which I, um, I think is like a better fit for her. She has this yes. vibe in the unlimited in the trainee squad where it's like she's the leader, but nobody really likes her. You know? Yeah. When you come in, they're like, we failed our last test. It didn't go well. We're like kind of a fractured unit and we have to put it all back together. Because they're also all technically like hostages of the UN because everyone's father is some big shot, right? Yeah. Uh, We talked about Shizuru's father is the prime minister. Maya is part of the imperial family. Um, (laughs) Tama's dad. Tama's dad is the undersecretary of like the UN defense force. Um, yes, and Ayamine was besties slash romantic interest with like a guy who, in an alternative, is going to be a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, yeah, she just like has not to Maya's degree, but like she has connections with like Imperial Japanese big shots, such that like, yes. oh, her dad, her dad is a disgraced uh, Navy captain. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing. Yeah, right, right, right. Um. He is, I believe he was disgraced for, like, uh, disobeying orders and prioritizing, like, evacuating civilians instead of uh, holding off the beta when they first lost the mainland. Um, so he kind of, like, takes some of the blame as, like, you know, oh, if, if he had followed orders, we wouldn't have lost the country initially. Um, you know, and she has her own feelings about that. Um, and Makoto's dad is a fucking... Makoto's dad is, like, a fucking... James Bond guy. He's so yes. goofy. He he is he is single-handedly like a CIA black ops guy going destabilizing countries and nobody knows. He is he's kind of the male Yuko, honestly. Yes, absolutely. I love that they I love that Yuko like hates him. He likes uh, He also dresses like Inspector Gadget. Yes. Uh the scene <laughs> in Alternative where Takaru meets him and is just like, who is this guy? Why can't I talk to him? Why does everything he say so weird? And then somebody calls him, like, Yoroi-san. And he's like, oh my god, it's Makoto's dad. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he's, like, barely exists on this planet. (laughs) Because, like, they're both fucking weirdos. Uh, He's a great line for Yuko, where Yuko asks, like, you know, what's your actual, what's your game here? A uh, special agent, and he says, "Like my only goal is to protect the planet as well as the beautiful women who live on it." <laughs> uh, doesn't he get executed off screen? Uh, yeah, that's the implication. Uh, yeah, that's what it is when you're a spy. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move to alternative then? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go to alternative. Oh. So alternative. Uh, so I didn't know anything about alternative other than it was more mech stuff. I was I loaded up like, oh, this is going to take place after everyone leaves for Earth and we're doing our last standoff. <laughs> um, so it opens with Takaru going, realizing he's in a time loop as he wakes up again the the in October whatever at the in his old room right outside the UN base. But he has most of the memories of Unlimited. Yeah. But it's like the day Unlimited begins again. And also his body is different. Like yes. they say that he is, you know, when he first woke up, he was just like a normal Japanese teenager. And in alternative yes. when they wakes up, like he's physically fit. 
Oh. They, they imply that basically it's like not even just the him from the end of Unlimited. It's the him from the end of Unlimited three years later after he yes. did all that working out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he he like the the buffest ripest uh, Takeru shows up and is like, I know what I have to do. I have to speed run Unlimited and prevent everyone leaving and alter- when alternative uh yeah. five happens his main thing um, and i have two months to do it he's <laughs> like one thing to hold on to is like yuko was working on some dirt in that lab so like i need yes. to i need to get in with her and get her to let me in on whatever she's doing i think he knows that the, the colony ship is called alternative four and yuko was working on alternative no no that's five no 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 the ships are four yuko's working on five no it's the other way around no, 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 it's... No, 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 she's definitely working on five. Um, because they... I'm looking this up, because <laughs> I think you're wrong. Well, the thing is, like... Okay, yeah, Alternative 4 is communicating with the beta with the double O unit. Alternative 5 is Operation Babylon. All the ships fuck off to space. Huh, okay, I fucked this up. <laughs> so, the... the But basically, Yuko is working on... He knows that Yuko is working on something that is a alternative to yes. what happened at the, at the end of the previous game. So he wants to ensure that that succeeds no matter what, because he he doesn't even know what it is, but he feels like it can't be worse than, uh, yes. you know, all of humanity abandoning the Earth, planet Earth. Um, it's, not, it's not even like all the 100,000 people get to flee Earth and everyone else is left to die, yeah. which at that point is like 2 billion people. Earth's like in a bad way. A lot of yeah. people died. Yeah, it is really, yeah. Uh, there's a spinoff kind of like about what happens, uh, that, you know, after Operation Babylon, and it doesn't go well. It's uh, I have not I have not played that. I don't really intend to. Yeah, I'm not going to. But basically, they say that, like, the G-bombs work better than intended and kind of like start a nuclear winter. Oh, weird. Yeah. And so it's like, I think the beta are mostly wiped out. And it is about like a kind of post-apocalyptic, like humans start to fight each other. Um, over what's left of Earth. Um, that is more that is more interesting than I thought the idea would be, I guess. I know specifically that Takiru shows up because, like, the rest of Squad 207 got, like, wiped out by the G-bombs, and now he is, like, a <laughs> totally dark-sided, like, super agent for the Imperial Japan. Incredible! <laughs> <laughs> he has, like, he has, like, five o'clock shadow and, like, longer hair. And <laughs> it looks really silly. But you're not playing as him, right? Like, he's no, just a character. So it, fucking Kiri Yamato shows up with a beard, sad about life. Yeah. I might have to play this. I changed my mind. I'm going to see if I can find this real quick. Because um, it's it's a hell of a look. Um. So anyway, the thing is. Oh, my so God. He, he convin- Sorry, I just forgot okay. how much he looks like Kira Yamato. Yes. Now, here you go. I'm just going to send this to you real quick so you can see. Oh my god. He just looks like dark-sided Kiri Yamato. Yes, absolutely. I hate this. <laughs> it looks wrong. Yeah. Um, so he's like, oh, I can speedrun it, but he convinces Yuko that he's clearly from an alternate timeline. Uh, she's willing to trust him to a certain extent, but gets thrown in with everyone who's still like going through, trying to get together, be a squad again, learn all the stuff, and has to, like, speedrun them also into being good pilots. Yeah. Um, and part of that is he helps uh, Yuko develop a new operating system for all the mechs that integrates all his gamer knowledge <laughs> to allow everyone to do macros and cool techniques. Yes, there is a... I, I, 
I really love the way the OS gets talked about because they do like they do some very good comedy bits. Um, there's a there's a bit where they refer to it. The rest of the squad refers to it as him and Yuko's child, and then they berate Takeru for being a bad father because they're the ones who have to make all the adjustments to the OS while Takeru is like doing black ops stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is yeah. like yeah, that's his like big bargaining chip basically. Um, Because the thing Yuko stresses to him is like, look, you think you know all this stuff, but like, unless you have concrete things to offer me that will benefit me, I don't need to like work with you or give a shit what you want me to do. Um, There's like a... I like the the dynamic where early on he's trading her information about what happens, um, but the thing is, the more he tells her what happens, the more she modifies the timeline through her actions, and thus the less valuable well, she, his information she, gets. She even, she even warns him that this is going to happen. It's like, if you tell me stuff and we start changing things, eventually you will not be useful to me. Yeah. Um, there's an introduced, there's like a new dimension introduced where it's like, um, you know, the Yuko alternative four is still active because Yuko's working on it. But like in the background of the UN, there are supporters of alternative five who are trying to like sabotage her project and make five seem like the actual viable project. Um, mm-hmm. They re, you know, they recontextualize the bit from Unlimited where the spacecraft like mysteriously fails and is set to fall on the base as like something that the alternative five supporters did to like either inconvenience or try to like uh, just flat out wipe out Yuko. Um, and that that is significantly changed, I think, because Takiru just like tells Yuko about it and she deals with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like conspiracy stuff going on in the background that Takeru is just like not that involved with because he's not important like that. Yes. Um, but the main thing is, um, because he knows that Kasumi is part of a uh, some sort of plan, is part of the alternative program, immediately becomes, uh, you know, pressed into helping her with the alternative thing, um which seems to be mostly at this point about uh, Kasumi opening up and becoming more of a person for reasons. Yeah. There's a very cute scene where he teaches her how to do like cat's cradle and like making, yes, making little art things with a, with a string. Um, Yes. You, you, I mean, you know me, I'm the, I'm the Emoto liker. I love when there's like a cute anime girl who's small and she's like the little sister to the protagonist. So I'm eating all that uh, shit up. No, she's cute. I, I like Kasumi. I think she's an interesting uh, character to play off of. Especially when she starts opening up and like expressing her desires. Like we find out she's not a robot girl. In fact, she's like a she's like a MK Ultra super psychic. She's a Soviet as part of <laughs> She's a Soviet developed artificial psionic human. Yeah, who's developed as part of a different alternative project. Yes. Um, back when they thought that they could use psychic kids to defeat or communicate with the beta. Yes. Um, because part of the problem is the beta don't recognize, seemingly don't recognize humanity as living beings. Yeah. So the 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 reason it's called the alternative project is because they are various alternatives to defeating the beta militarily, right? So yes. it's just like. It's, a, it's basically a worldwide legacy of failure as, like, various scientific units have tried to communicate to, like, you know, discover alternatives, mostly communicating with the beta in one way or another and failing. So I think Kasumi is, like, the last living um, test subject from Alternative 3 
where, yeah, they were going to make psionics um, to communicate with the beta, and that just, like, didn't work. Um, yeah. The beta are basically, like, the thing that the beta do is they have all of these, like, various forms, you know? Like, they're kind of like the Covenant, honestly. Yes, but what if the Covenant were awful flesh monsters? Yeah, and, like, all they do is just, like, colonize a place, make a giant hive, and then, like, strip the land of all of its resources. Like, uh, Takiru's town used to be, like, a beta hive, and it's just, like, barren, basically. You know, they, they took... They took all the vegetation, they took all the buildings, they took all the minerals, like, everywhere that is not, like, the UN base is just, like, flat nothing. It's honestly very scary. Um, and, yeah, Yuko tells Takiru basically that, like, through observing the beta, their working theory is that the beta do not recognize humans as, like, beings, basically. Um, they treat, Mm -hmm. like, they treat humans trying to, like, kill and exterminate them like the same way they would treat like an environmental obstacle um yeah and so should we just go into what alternative four is yeah sure yeah so working on like the soviet theory yuko's theory is that the reason they don't the beta do not recognize humans is that humans are carbon-based life forms and the beta are silicone-based life forms so yuko wants to make what she calls the zero the zero zero unit which is basically like an artificial psionic robot body, which is piloted by like a human mind um, that has been transplanted into the body. And the idea is like, it will be, you know, the zero zero unit will be like a super powered human. It has psionics. It can communicate with machines. The theory is that like, it will be able to jack into the, like the beta's hive network and either communicate directly with them or like, learn enough about them that it will give humanity an edge in fighting them. And yes. uh, I'll give you one guess what the brain, like whose brain it is that they are going to put in that body. Uh, yep. It's uh, Sumika, who in this universe, Sumika and Takaru and a bunch of other people were captured by the beta years ago and put in like these, like the beta just grabbed people and put them in these weird, like experimental pods. Mm-hmm. And at this point, had been like so experimented on she's just a brain that was then recovered by um the un when they took over the bases on top of the old hive they just found this chamber and kept it Mm -hmm. yeah that is the that is the out of context intro that you see for alternative is like the un max breaking into the central room of the hive and then just discovering a bunch of human brains and tubes um yeah which again because of the beta don't recognize humans as like life forms it's it makes it seem like they were just sort of like seeing what they could do with various natural resources like it's not a way to you know they didn't put people in tubes to like torment them or do anything with them it seems like they were just processing matter and it's really freaky yeah um and so kasumi's there because with her psychic ability she can she's the only way they're going to be able to communicate with whatever the brain is they found in the tube um and that is what has been happening for months years at this point is kasumi reading uh sumika's like traumatized memories um and slowly discovering her personhood is like a mirror of sumika yes and when you're there it seems to like 
uh, Sumika seems to recognize that you are there and respond and uh, everything is happening faster. So Yuko's like, oh, you are useful. You are going to make her normal. Please fix her. Yeah. Like if there's one, like if they're, when they first make the, the double O unit and they like put Sumika's brain in there, she is like mostly catatonic. Um, yeah. Sometimes she'll like respond to stimuli and have these like breakdowns and freakouts but like the ones that, that are about getting in a she, about getting in a robot and killing all the beta. Like oh, yeah. all she wants to do is fight. Yeah, she wants to like rip and tear and murder and kill as many beta as possible. And like the one yeah. stimuli that she responds to that doesn't make her do this is Takiru. Yeah. Um she just has this like huge overpowering desire to like see Takiru and like be with him. Um yes. early on Takeru has to explain, like, what is this girl that, like, just wants to follow him around like a puppy all the time? Um, yes. To the to the other squad mates. Um, there's a lot of, like, him balancing his work with Yuko and then, like, being part of the squad, you know? Because he, he has to, like, <clears throat> you know, he has to be absent for, like, days at a time because he's, like, working on stuff with Yuko. And yeah. then he has to go back to the squad and, like, explain where he was. Um, there's a bit like this doesn't really develop into like a a thing that threatens Takaru's position but they do sort of hint early on that he might be suspected of like some kind of conspiracy um yeah because uh <clears throat> uh Sukiyomi who was Maya's maid in the extra universe and is now like an elite like imperial bodyguard she does yeah you know, she shows up and she knows that the man named uh, Shirokane Takaru is, like, dead. So she yes. looks at our Takaru and is like, okay, who are you? Um, Maya doesn't end up, like, believing. Well, she believes that Takaru is, like, ultimately that he has good intentions. But Tsukiyomi does, like, approach her and is like, hey, this guy cannot be who he says he is. Yes. Because um, we know for a fact that, like, Shirokane Takaru is dead. Yeah. Um, the other thing we didn't really talk about is before even Kasumi shows up in a robot body, um, or Sumika, I mean, uh, you, uh, I think it's after the coup, right? You end up uh, at, at like your graduation from being uh, cadets oh, and yeah. the beta attack and Marimo gets chomped by a beta giving you like a pep talk about doing well or whatever. And uh, Takeru has a fucking breakdown, just total incapacitated has trauma responses and wants to go back home now that he like did his job of changing the timeline. Um, he's like, send me back to my time. Cause, cause Yuko has been working on this for him and has the capacity to send him back for good. Cause he's been like making sojourns to talk to original extra timeline Yuko because she's has more data on multiple timeline theory because of her gaming habits where she brainstorms. Yeah. Yeah. Like Yuko alternative Yuko's like, this is the most, like, alternative Yuko is so, like, up her own ass, honestly. <laughs> like, yes. you know, her position is, like, the best people that I can work with to, like, achieve my goals are other alternate versions of me who have access to new data that I wouldn't have. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, he is, she, like, uses a machine to basically send Takaru's consciousness into, like, an alternate universe version of himself so that he can approach Yuko and then, like, that you know the Yuko of that universe, and then like enlist her help in something. Yeah, um, but once he once he flees back into that timeline to try to be himself for good, mm -hmm. uh, it turns out in like linking the universes, he has triggered this like causality, like yeah. spillover where people who 
he interacted with in both universes will start forgetting him. Um, and then the things that happen to them in the uh, uh, alternative universe will happen to them in this universe. Yeah. So it's like, uh, Takeru is like, or Takeru is like this, he's, he's become like this singularity where like the data of all of these various universes overlap. And so yeah. if he tries to go back to the extra universe, like, the, the history of what happened in the alternative universe is, like, going to come over with him. And so, yeah, yeah like, he, you know, he, Marimo ends up being killed in that extra timeline that he goes back to. Um, in like yeah, a very and Sumika ends up, like, uh, devastatingly injured to where she would be, like, you know, in a, in a coma the rest of her life. Uh, the Sumika stuff in that arc is, like, so fucking sad. Like, yes, they also like everyone who everyone who would is like his best friends. The more time they spend with him, the more their memories get shunted into the other universe. So they they basically forget him. Like one morning, Maya wakes up, doesn't remember why she's there to get married to this boy and like flees. Yeah, the with it's and the thing is that like, you know, um, as this is happening, you know, Takeru is really freaked out about this. But like Sumika is the one person who remembers him. And so he spends yes. like more and more time with her. Um, you know, they develop this, like, very unhealthy, like, you know, um, you know, oh, it's just gonna be the two of us, and we're just gonna, like, run away together, um, cause everything's yeah. getting fucked up, and then, after she's really grievously injured, he goes to her room and discovers that, like, she didn't actually remember him in a way that nobody else could, but she had, like, journals, she had, like, years of journals that she wrote in detailing, like, you know, her life, and you know, him being in her life. And so she would like, you know, just read these every morning. Like she left a note to herself. That's like, you know, there's this guy, his name is Shirogane Takaru and you don't remember him, but he is like the, he is the most important person ever. So you need to like read these journals and like basically fake that you remember your history with him. And it's so fucking sad. Yes. Like a consistent, beat with Sumika and why I think like she's one of my favorite characters in there is that like she you know she has a lot of self-esteem problems basically and mm-hmm. when she thinks of herself you know she has this huge crush on Takiru um but when when she like compares her- herself to all the other girls around him she thinks like oh I have nothing to compete with them except like the depth of my feelings for him and so that's like the one thing that she is extremely protective of and doesn't want to lose, you know, like, um, she, she really holds on to like the things that she does for him in their day to day life, because she's like, that's what I have that nobody else has in relationship to him. And like, there's a lot of pathos there. Um, and it's, it's like very rough when you see what she was like putting herself through in this alternate timeline, just to like comfort him Whenever, when everything was falling apart and like, you know, she tried so hard not to let him know what she was going through so that he wouldn't worry yes. about her. Um, 
the so he he goes to Yuko and is like tries to explain the situation, and uh, she <laughs> decides to help him get back into the alternative timeline, um, because she also like kind of starts hinting that she's forgetting stuff, um, but is much better at, like like it's not affecting her as much because she wasn't as close to him, but it's happening to her too, um, and she helps him break into like a fucking nuclear reactor to s- get the energy to send him back, and it's great that yeah. whole sequence. I was losing my mind. <laughs> well, she's also she's also mad at her alternative self. For- for, like, using all of them, you know? Yes, like, partially yes. what she says to Takiru is, like, look, get back, and then, like, beat my other self's ass. Like, don't let her get away with just, like, exploiting us all, even though I would totally have done it if I was in her place, but, like, don't just, like, take her shit forever. Um, I think the, the version of Yuko in that timeline is, like, my favorite. Because she's, like, she's just so real with him. In yes. a way that's, like... I really liked that because it was like, oh yeah, this is like the relationship with Yuko that he just couldn't have with the alternative version because she just has a totally different context. But it's like, this is the version of Yuko who like, you know, is like his teacher. And so just like has a relationship and an affection for him and like wanting to, wanting him to be okay in a way that like alternative Yuko just doesn't care. It's weird because, like, I don't, I, I think that she project. There's a lot of this later on where it's revealed that she cares a lot more, just in a very uh, inhuman way sometimes, because yeah. of the demands placed upon her by her job. There's, a um, bit- I have a, I have a lot of sympathy for alternative you. Oh yeah, she's great. There's a bit at the end of alternative where she talks about like her failures, and she says her failure, she like failed to become. I think she describes it as like the mother of the human race. Like that's the way that she sees herself is like. Yes. I have to become this, like, almost superhuman being and, like, um, create a new future that we didn't have before. Um, so, like, she does care, but she is just, like, her her perspective is so high level that, like, yeah, Taku- like, Takiru could die fucking horribly. And she would be like, well, if that's what had to happen, you know? Oh. Yes. Um... So you come back uh, after that and like, oh, I have to stop running away from my problems and actually address this. Um, and that's when you start training Sumika and the robot to become a person. Um, but this Sumika, it's weird because like Takara's like, oh, this is this my Sumika? And it sometimes feels like it is. But it turns out that she's pulling memories from dozens of different Takarus, which is not only the character you've played through these, but like every route of the prior games that you could have taken. Mm-hmm. And also like maybe talkers that don't, you know, that we never see as the players. Like she's trying to amalgamate every possible multiverse Sumika and Takaru into yeah. a one being that she's her, interacting with. Yeah. Her one, her like one desire is to like see Takaru again. Right. Because yes. in her, in the past of her universe, you know, they were captured by the beta together and he died basically trying to protect her from them. Um, Mm -hmm. and so she just wants to see him again because she has this, like, crushing level of survivor's guilt about it. Um, and with these, like, super powerful psionics she's been given, she is, like, drawing all of this information from all of these different timelines into herself. And, you know, she, I think we should just say it here, right? Like, she is the reason that he is in this universe because she is drawing, like, the consciousness of... Shirogane Takaru as like a as uh as a concept that exists in the universe to her. Um, yes. The implication is that like in every timeline where he does not reach her, 
in her universe, like, the timeline just resets and, like, a new amalgamation of him is, like, spawned into the universe to try and reach her. Because that's the level yeah. of, like, brain power that she's on. Yeah. Um, and so a bunch of last-ditch efforts to fight happen where she's... You're put in, like, a bigger squad with a bunch of characters that are from other age games, mm-hmm. which I would love to play. They're not in English. I, they're they're working on the one that this is, like, that this is a spinoff of, I think. Mm. Um, that's what I saw when I was looking at it. Um, that specifically... Because th- this game is a spinoff of something else, and so that game is like has an English version announced that they're working on. Uh, Kimiga Nozomu Ayan. So, mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Th- I would like to play more with these characters, because uh, I liked some of the... Because you meet like a whole new squad who are like references to the other games, who are just around, kind of as like, here's a bunch of new girls, but they don't have arcs, and they're all like doomed. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. I-, I like most of those characters. I would like to see more of them. Yeah, they have... Um... Yeah, they're they're a lot more just like um, they're they're sort of cynically used in the game as just like you know here is we're gonna double the size of Takeru's squad so that like a bunch of them can get killed off and like you'll kind of care but you won't care as much as like you know if we started killing off the the original girls because we're gonna save that for the end. Um, but I do like some of them. I really like Captain Asumi. Um, you know, mm. she's just like the the oldest one here who has to like try to hold everyone together um and she's been doing like black ops missions for yuko for however many years um yes she and takaru have a great conversation the night before a mission where she talks about you know her i assume this is just the plot of the game she's from you know but she talks about like her her uh romantic struggles and you know how she wasn't able to confess to the man she loved because, like, he died in the war. And uh, Takaru tries to commiserate with her by being like, yeah, I had a childhood friend and we both kind of liked each other, but, you know, we never really said anything. And she's like, I can't fucking stand you, kid. <laughs> there's that yeah. There's that bit where um, she grills him and is like, is she alive? And Takaru's like, uh, kind of. And... <laughs> He's, he's like, well, I don't really know what that means, but, like, you better survive this fucking mission and get back to her and, like, fucking marry her. Because if, if your yes. ass dies, I, I will never forgive you. I will haunt you. Oh. Um, but, yeah, the I guess in short, because we've, we've gone very long oh, yeah. already. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you do it. Last is Jefferson go to the major hive and Sumika is in a giant like mobile armor, basically, um, that she pilots their mind. And you're going to go in there and you're going to try to contact the last thing um, and the, the, like the, whatever the core is of the beta and it, then blow it up. And everyone sacrificed themselves to get you in there in a very long but very good sequence where everyone basically lies to Takeru to keep him, like, in his head in the game as they sacrifice themselves. It's so, um, yeah, they're, like, they're, like, spoofing their their life signs so that he won't yes. know that some of them have died. And, uh Yes, that all of them are dying, <laughs> yes. It's, like, such a, um, it's just such a heartbreaking moment because it's, like... They know him to the degree that they knew he would get just totally fucked up if he knew that they were sacrificing themselves for him. So yes. they all have to conspire to keep that from him until the like, very last possible moment. It's brutal. Yeah. And so they talk to the, the, the seed of whatever of the beta, and it barely recognizes them as humans or as living beings. It only recognizes Sumika and even then kind of barely. Mm. Um, 
and they don't make any headway with it. Like, just straight up. Yeah, it says, um, like, so they have- it basically says that, like, you know, the beta, the beta are, aren't even, like, a, like, they aren't even, like, an alien. They are not the life forms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're, like, the, the semi-sentient tools created by another alien species to just, like, go out, colonize worlds, take all of the resources, and bring them back home. Like, they say that, um, they say, I think, early on, that, like, the beta hives will, like, launch things and materials into space, and they haven't figured out, like, the humans don't know why that happens, and then the the seed here confirms, like, yeah, we're shipping stuff back to the home world. Um, Mm -hmm. and then once we destroy Earth, we're gonna, like, go find a new planet and do this again. Um, to which Takiru is like, fuck you, eat our giant laser. (laughs) Um, which Maya has to sacrifice her. They have to do... Maya dies the way that, like, Goku dies at the beginning of DBZ. You know? Like, she she does the, like... Oh, yes. She stands in front of the big beam. Yes. It's it's good. She's, like, being grappled, and she's like, you have to shoot the giant beam through my mech. Um, I think she is the... She's the only one, I think, who gets to tell Takiru her feelings for him directly. Um, Yes. Everyone else, as they die... You know, the the girls have this moment where they're all like, yeah, you know, he's our one guy and we all have some degree of romantic feelings for him and we're all going to die to, like, make sure he completes his mission. And they have this, like, grim solidarity about it. Um, But yeah, they they destroy, you know, they do destroy that kind of, like, mother, like, mother brain, I guess. And this doesn't... This doesn't destroy the beta entirely, but it does take away their ability to adapt super fast. Because um, that's been mm-hmm. a part of their big threat is that, like, they had this ability to telepathically communicate across the globe. So any novel tactic that the humans discovered to use against the beta had, like, a very short shelf life. Because eventually all of the beta would know about it and come up with a countermeasure. Um, yeah. But when Takiru gets back... Yuko says, like, yeah, you since you've taken out the central node, they can't do this anymore, and you've taken humanity's, like, life expectancy from, like, maybe another five or ten years to, like, another forty or fifty years. Um, and she basically treats this as, like, a sure-gone victory because, you know, in one of her moments of being very full of herself, she says, if I have fifty years, I'll figure this shit out. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and then um, it turns out actually that Sumika has also, uh, died, um, in the midst of expending, like, all of her energy piloting this big armor, and Kasumi is yes. the one who, you know, gives Takaru, like, her last will and testament, basically, where she yeah. admits to him that she was doing all of this stuff with her psionics, and he, she was the reason why he was trapped in this world, and she apologizes to him and says, like, you know, now you can do whatever you want, basically. And, you know, thank you for sticking by me, even though I did this horrible thing to you. Um, and Takuru learns that all of his friends are dead and has a cry about it, because that's a lot. Um, and then they never really, I don't think they really say explicitly what happens to Takeru and Kasumi, because you, uh, you kind of cut to another alternate timeline where it's like the extra timeline, but everybody's here, including a bunch of the characters uh, from Alternative, uh, like Kasumi. And then, you know, they're all kind of at the high school and all, you know, they all get transferred into the same class. There's like this 
you know, peak anime hilarity moment where there's like four new transfer students because all the alternative yes. characters have to join. Um, and then Kasumi begins to cry um, and she can't really tell. She says she doesn't really know why, but she just got this feeling of immense, like, melancholy sadness seeing everybody here and happy. And then they all, like, give her a big hug. And they're like, hey, you know, we're all gonna have a great fucking high school life together. And that's the end of Love Love. Yes. Uh, it's good. <laughs> the, uh, Alternative is an exhausting game. It is. Uh, I, like, had to put it down for a couple months just because I was working on uh, abnormal mapping stuff. And it was it's weird because, like, it's only I finished it in like a little over 20 hours. I think it was like 23, 24 hours. Um, but it felt long. Yeah. Like, I think this um, is part of the mood where, like, yes, for a long time. Both like Takiru as the character and you as the player know that you like have a deadline, but yes, don't really know, like when the deadline comes up or like how your actions are going to affect the broader scale. And so like, um, you just, I feel like the ending of the game actually comes on very fast because you just reach a point where everyone's resources are exhausted to the point where like they have to do this final suicide mission on the beta main hive or that's it, you yes. know, but they don't know they're at that point until the mission right before it, where they like lose, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, it's also like Takeru's whole thing is like I'm going to speed run the last game, and so you'd go through a lot of the stuff. It's like, oh, well, th this is kind of the same, but a little bit different. But then entire new events happen, like the entire coup, uh, the fi like the mm -hmm. the Mishima overthrow the government of Japan is like as long as like an entire route of the other games. Yeah, and it's it goes on forever, and it's just because like you know, the political scheming that Yuko was doing in the background have, like, exacerbated tensions between, like, the Japanese government and the UN to the point that, like, some of the conservative factions in the Japanese government, like, decide to just go for a coup to try to reestablish, you know, main control over Japan. And that's yes. something that, like, I think you get a sense that Yuko thought it would happen, but Takiru definitely didn't think that would happen. No, I mean, this is where Takaru starts to actually learn the world that he's been in, because in, in Unlimited, he does not have any curiosity about the larger world mm -hmm. um, and has to learn really fast in this one. And so a lot of the game, when it's not about specifically the plot stuff, is Takaru talking to people about what they fight for, what they value, and like what it means to like devote yourself to an ideal mm -hmm. in ways that are like mostly pretty well considered like you get a lot of different viewpoints on this yeah um the game definitely falls on the side of you can talk a big game but at the end of the day it's the people that you love as the thing that you, you holds you to others mm -hmm. um which is like very anime as an answer yeah. but it's also i don't necessarily think it's like bad or wrong as an answer yeah there's um, like yeah the, the the coup is a big part of this because like it's kind of like a, a takiru reckoning with how like all of these people say that they're like fighting for japan but they all have like or, like, humanity, but they all have these, like, different conflicting ideals of, like, what that means, you know? Like, um, there's that bit where he, uh, you know, there's that bit where in order to keep, uh, Maya's sister, like, the Emperor, safe, they have to, like, request help from the American army, and that's a moment of Takeru being like, hold on, I thought the Americans were, were our enemies, I don't know about this, but then, like, he actually meets the the American soldiers and has to reckon with, like, okay, I know the Americans are, like, America as a country is kind of, like, my political enemy, 
but not necessarily right now. And then when I meet American soldiers, I can I kind of think they're cool as hell. I'm like, you know, cool military guys. I don't really know how to square all of this in my brain. Um, he kind of comes out of that coup arc being like, man, I don't really know my shit, really. Um, he has this good bit where he thinks about how he is both like a coward because he is afraid to fight people in one-on-one mech combat and also like a murderer because he has already helped Yuko like take these actions that got a lot of people killed. Um, mm-hmm. and I like, you know, he, he, I like that moment where he realizes his own kind of like wishy-washiness. Yeah. I think, I think overall he's like pretty well written as a, as a character. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I feel like so many pieces of media like this are about the, the guy is like the audience analog who kind of gets to like poke fun at everyone being a little too invested in whatever their bullshit is. Um, and to care specifically is a guy who has to learn that caring about things is good and that everyone's got their own thing and try to like synthesize that in a way that I think is uh, thoughtful. Yeah. And uh, con- considered what it is to like move out of high school anime protagonist into an adult who has interactions with multiple people who don't all agree with you. And they do- it's fine if they don't. Yeah. Um, I think the what that's the part they think is like a little more mature about like responsibility and like difference yeah compared to most media of this type yeah I think it's like I think it's perspective on like how a person changes is also very considered because they do give Takaru the space to like have a big moment where he resolves you know he's like now I'm gonna be now I'm gonna be committed in my resolve and I'm not gonna falter and I'm not gonna fuck up and I'm not gonna like um and I'm not gonna um you know, ruin everything by falling to pieces again. And then like a bad thing happens and it really affects him, you know, like, um, yes. After, you know, um, the coup, you know, after the coup happens, he makes his resolve and then Marimo, you know, and then he like has his first battle with the beta and that goes really terribly. And then as Marimo's like trying to comfort him and get him to that place of resolve again, she dies and he is just, you know, he totally falls apart there. Um, And, you know, he, like, I like that his development as a character is, like, it's, it's bumpy, you know? He feels like he is trying to step down a path and constantly, like, stumbling, but at the same time, you know, that's, he's able to get over the hill in the end, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. his, the ways in which he fails, like, he, you know, he's still able to, to do what he's got to do. And I think it makes him feel very realistic in the way that like, at the end of the day, like he is, you know, he's not like a natural born soldier and he like sort of cares way too much to do the stuff he is trying to do. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And that's just like in, in a very, I think in a very realistic way, like that, that core conflict never goes away for him. You know, no, Um, they have to hide. You know, they have to hide that his squad is dying from him because he couldn't take it yes. if he knew if he knew in the moment, you know, he would want to go back and save everyone, um, even if it means like compromising the whole mission. And yes, they kind of get him over that mission by deceiving him in the end. And it's like, yeah, brutal. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Yuko, for all of her evil masterminds, is 
uh, the one who is the most right and the most compassionate at all times, like is able to clear eye, looked at every situation and see all of the cost and go, it's still worth it because that means people survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that about the games because it's at the end of the day, it's her and Kasumi who are going to remain on this hell earth fighting the war mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. And I like, and everyone, everyone who's the main character is gone at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, and maybe like uh, Takeru stays with them, but it's kind of unclear, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, at the very least, like in the epilogue, in the epilogue scene that you see, it doesn't seem like the Takeru in that scene is the Takeru from a limit, from a alternative directly. You know, it's not like he just went back to that timeline in his home because um, he's not mm-hmm. the one who seems to have the inkling that like a bunch of horrible stuff happened to everyone in this room. I like his I like his relationship with alternative Yuko a lot as well. Um, I like the kind of like degrees of their allyship and the way that they like um, the way that they like work together a lot and also have a lot of friction with one another. Um, and then the way at the end they get to this kind of place of like you know uh, antagonistic respect with one another. I guess you know. Um, Yuko has that, you know, very cool girl moment where she gives him a gun and is like, if you want to shoot me, you can do that. And he's like, that's not going to solve anything. Um, maybe I'll shoot you after the war is over. They have that. Yes. They have that kind of moment. I think they each have a moment where they're pointing a pistol at the other and then decide not to do it because they need each other too much. Um, alternative kind of the Yuko route. Um. yeah it really really frames her as the the main character dealing with infinite responsibility um kind of haphazardly but i do love that stuff especially once you meet her uh secret black ops squad and everyone is like relentlessly devoted to her and thinks of her as like someone who personally saved them and cares for them um and cares like wait her the evil one (laughs) (laughs) and i think and some of them are even like yeah dude we know she's evil but like (laughs) She, she's what, like, she's the best chance that we have, you know? Um. Yes. I think it's Izumi who says that, like, yeah, she can do whatever shit she wants, but, like, if I look at this war, and I look at who's gonna, like, you know, who has the ability to get us out of this in the end, it's her. And so if I've gotta die to, like, advance her goals, then I guess I gotta die. And that's Yuri to me. (laughs) Fair enough. It's, it's, yeah, it's just a good, it's just like a good game. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I highly recommend if people play it to split up playing extra and unlimited and alternative because don't play all of it at once. That's too much mofluff. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, yeah, I, when I finished alternative, I think I did, I think I started, or when I finished unlimited, I started alternative like a week later just because I was really high on the ending and wanted to see how it, how it, uh, how it proceeded from here. Um, but then I definitely took a few breaks at certain points of alternative because you cannot just mainline that one. Yeah. Oh, I forgot one last thing I wanted to say about the trilogy overall, um, which I think is interesting formally. This is a VN with like no 
prose description. Like, everything is communicated through sprite movement and, like, animations and dialogue. And I thought that was, like, very cool, and I was impressed with, like, you know, it was something I didn't realize until about, like, midway through Alternative, or not Alternative, Unlimited. I keep getting them confused. And I was like, hold on. We have not had just, like, a text box for this entire game. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. I think that's, like, kind of low-key, very ambitious for a VN to do. And I was impressed by how much they made it work. Yeah. Uh, they do a lot of, like, pseudo-animation sequences, especially with the mechs fighting. Mm-hmm. Just, like, long battle sequences of, like panels of characters and mechs and monsters sliding over like 3d environments and stuff that's very cool i love the i love the bit from unlimited where they they just do a full-on animation of maya's tsf slicing a boulder open it's so cool yes yeah takiru has to like catapult her up over the shoulders of his mech it's it's cool as hell yeah that stuff's very ambitious uh i like it a lot yeah, good game. People should play Muvlove. Uh, we have to carry the torch for the Muvlove fandom. <laughs> no one else is going to. There's like an anime, but every time I look at that, I'm like, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, the aesthetics are so mid-2000s anime. And just like, you mm-hmm. can't... You, you just... They couldn't make Muvlove, you know? Yes. Do you want to yeah. see like 2016 Takeru? Yeah. From like a from like a gotcha game that they made at some point. Look at that. Who is that guy? Oh, I hate him. <laughs> that's a Kirito. They made him into a Kirito. <laughs> that's the fucked up thing. Yeah, he would be a Kirito now. Uh, God. Um. Yeah. Uh. Do you want to get into emails? We have a bunch of emails. Yeah. Let's probably let's, get to. Let's take care of some emails. <laughs>
If you'd like to send emails, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to go through them all here. Uh, First one's from Faden. What's a good introduction to games like Mo Love for those who haven't got into that gaming space? So... You mean dating visual novels? Yeah, that's my thing. I was like... I'm going to answer this. If if you mean VNs in general, I'm going to make a recommendation, which is the VN uh, Paranorma site. Uh, Oh, that's really good. It's really short, too. Yeah, it's a game that came out, I think, just this year, honestly. Yeah. Um, Yep, Square Enix game from, like, March or something. Yeah, and it is a a VN about a bunch of, you know, it's a supernatural mystery horror VN about a bunch of... Uh, I would say, calling it horror might scare people off. There's not that much horror involved. Uh, there's, There's, I would, okay. I would call it horror, but in the sense of, like, you see some, like, freaky ghosts and like there's a jump scare or two you know yes um, but like it's not it's not particularly sp- i think someone who normally stays away from horror stuff would be fine with paranormal sight yeah if if i think like uh with the caveat of like you're gonna see a dead body or two yes um but yeah it's about a bunch of people in uh you know in modern day japan and they you know they all have... Um, uh, it, it is not modern-day right. Japan, because getting a fax machine is a major plot True. point. It in, is, it is... in, like, Japan in the 80s. Yes. Um, I went too broad with my modern. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and they all, you know, they all receive this, like, mysterious ability to kill people with various curses. And they're told that the more people they kill the more, like, soul power they will accumulate. And if they get enough soul power, they will, like, be able to resurrect somebody close to them that has died. Um, and uh, I think it is a good introduction to VNs because, one, I just think it has a great aesthetic and vibe. I love the way this game looks and the way the environments look. And um, I, I think it is... I think it's probably good for getting your head around VNs because it's it's pretty manageable. It's not super long. It's one, not one of these very ambitious projects. And it has a flowchart that makes the root structure, I think, very easy to visualize. And so if you've never played a game that has a bunch of branching points like that, um, Paranormal Sight is just going to like make it very easy for you. Mostly what you're doing is... Picking a character, following them until you can't follow them anymore, and then going and getting another character. And then, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, But I think it would be, if you've never played a VN before, I think it would be a good introduction to just, like, you know, getting your head around these concepts, and then also seeing, like, a cool thriller mystery at the same time. This is true. I think uh, Paranormal has way more mechanical density than the average visual novel, at least in my experience. Yeah, that's true. Um, you do have to like uh, the one- look around and and interact with objects and people, which often you yeah. don't have to do with VN. Um, the one I would always recommend, and honestly, is the first one I ever picked up, is uh, the original Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Um, just can't be beat. Just a nice solid game. You can get the trilogy for pickup. Don't play the entire trilogy at once. Just play the first game. Um, it's on everything at this point. Um, you can emulate it really easily. And just play through it. It's good. Yeah, Phoenix. Wright. It's funny. It's lighthearted. It's not that hard. Um, and it's it's chunked into very clear cases. That you can just do a case and then put it down for a week yeah. or two and then pick it back up. And even within the cases, you can just be like, okay, today I'm doing invest. You know, the day one investigation, and tomorrow I will do yeah. you know day one of the court case, and so on and so forth. 
Good suggestion. Uh, Hilver writes in, what's the maximum amount of additional mechanics you would permit in a visual novel? <laughs> permit is a weird word there, because I, yeah. I guess I would be fine with whatever. you you got to justify it. But, yeah. Um, I come from it at a similar place. Um, if, you, if you force me to set a limit, the thing is, you know, I think I'm pretty permissive, but if you force me to set a limit, I would set the limit pretty stringently and say maybe like two. Um, yes. Because the thing is, I think one of the beauties of visual novels is that they don't have to have a bunch of like mechanics and stuff in them. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I would I would say both both Danganronpa and AI the Somnium Files, too many mechanics. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think one of the cool things about VNs is that like if you want to, it can just be like, you know, f- filtered photo backgrounds like some sprites yes. and a bunch of text boxes and some music. Oh, I love a filtered photo background. Please more of those. <laughs> yeah. We, we honestly need to, uh, you know, we need to, we need to bring that back as a society. Yep. Main thing I miss um, in the Tsukihime remake. I don't want to see those back. I don't want to see like HD super drawn backgrounds for Tsukihime. Yeah. Um, Medea writes in, we all love the cool robot and hyperfixate on this above all else. Uh, asterisk, I do not do this. <laughs> I want to point out. Uh, but what else can a piece of mecha media promise you to get you to be there no matter what? Uh, M is not going to agree with me here, but I, I I love the troop movements. I love when there's a bridge crew and a support staff and they have to like do an operation and you get a sense of like, you know, th- like, a mech is a thing that cannot exist unless you have, like, a bunch of people who are helping to make that thing go. So I want the sense of, like, how that fits into a larger organization of people and, like, how it is being used to accomplish aims. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I like when there is a space princess, usually from space, could be from somewhere else, and she uh, is dangerous in that she is a nexus of power, but probably is fairly sheltered and doesn't understand what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Love that. You can Honestly, you can never go wrong with the space princess. Yes. I would say, uh, if you if you ask me if I feel like I mech, mech media is a draw for me, I would say no. I am not inherently drawn to mechs. Sometimes quite the opposite for professional reasons. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing is I think I would say that too. It's like, there's a lot of mech media that I just don't vibe with. Um, yeah, I think I have maybe sort of like a, a a minority orientation towards mechs in that, like, you know, I would say maybe I like mech media, but the type of mech media I like is not generally what they make. Um, Hmm. Um, I just, I'm not entirely sure I am a mecha fan in the way that that is usually like laid yeah, out. Yeah, I don't think I could describe myself as a mecha fan either. Oh. I picked up Love Love because I am a fan of goofy harem comedy hijinks. Not because I there was mecha at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. if they didn't have the goofy harem comedy hijinks, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have read it, you know? Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not looking into, I'm not looking into fucking Demon Bane, you know? Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Um, Nora writes in with a question, what would Thomas Shelby's persona be? I don't know who Thomas Shelby is. I just Googled him. He's a character from Peaky Blinders. Yeah, no, I berated her into uh, into sending a question, any question. And so she just sent a question about the TV show we're watching together. 
Okay. Um, well, only you can answer this because yeah. I've never seen Peaky Blinders. Yeah, so Thomas Shelby's persona would be Mordred in the Emperor Arcana um, because they are both uh-huh. like fucking nasty little power grubbers that everybody hates. Um, okay. Despite the fact that they're not that different from the people who have the power. Uh, is Peaky Blinders good? Peaky Blinders is pretty good. Um, would I like it? Hmm. I don't know if you... Maybe you wouldn't hate it, but it doesn't feel like the kind of... Like, I can't tie it to, like, a trait. I can't tie it to the media that I know you like, you know? Okay. Um, no, that's fair. I was just curious. I think I feel like if you are... I feel like generally if you get into, like, a crime fiction kind of thing, it's not necessarily from, like, the gangster side, and you're more of, like, mm-hmm. a cop crime fiction kind of person. This is this is true. This is true about me. There, are, there's uh, there's not really like this. Uh, Peaky Blinders is very much like here's the perspective of like the criminals who are doing criminal shit. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like a genius because the first season was had a lot of background uh, involvement with the Irish uh, Revolution and Civil War, and then this new season has a bunch of Russian Revolution stuff. So I watch it and oh, I just nice. get to feel like a genius. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Sharkasaur writes in uh, play these games early in the year after I mentioned on a previous abnormal mapping I mostly enjoyed them but even though I heard alternate gives, alternative gets messed up I was still not adequately prepared maybe I'm just a baby but that scene where Marmo gets chomped really got me and then when it happens again at the other world that also got me and stuck with me quite a bit I don't think I even have a question beyond wasn't that so upsetting anyways keep up the great work across your many shows no that was so upsetting um, yes. they call it the PTSD art for a reason um, <laughs> um the, some of the some of the like body horror bits with the with the beta are a bit much yeah like just it's very it, it it's it, there's like this very gross physicality to them um yes they look disgusting first of all yes all, the, all of the beta are so grotesque and fucked up um yes and so when they just like appear in the middle of your like you know mech politics uh show uh plot you have going on you're like i think it's the intended effect but it has the effect of you going jesus christ you know like when one of them just like appears in front of takiru and kills his teacher it's fucked up um yes i took like a i took a multi-month break in the middle of that arc because it was just like really it was really hitting you know um yeah. It's not a pleasant time. He's having a really bad time there. Um, yeah. Alternative is generally a, a fairly hopeless narrative. Yeah. You know, even in the end, like, they don't beat the beta. They, uh, yeah. they, according to Yuko's projections, they, like, increase the operational lifespan of all humanity by, like, s- several dozen years. But, like, that's your yeah, victory. It's, it's like, oh, you bought us, like, 20, 30 years. Yeah. That, uh, but that's your victory, you know? Um, yeah. It's rough. Um, yeah. Uh, Cass writes in um, two questions. Visual novels are uh, inextricably tied to their art, visuals, and the right in the name. Uh, but, uh, many beloved visual novels have the art styles from an early period in the artist's career, a style that's dropped out of vogue or is sometimes purposefully repulsive. How important do you feel an art style and quality is to a visual novel? And do you think opinions have changed over time? Well, I said 
I, I said this a bit before, but one of the things I think is like the great the great point of visual novels is that they can be made very cheaply, um, and they yes. don't need to have like the type of production values that uh, many other games do feel like they need. Um, so, like, uh, I'm not the biggest Umineko fan, and I've never read Higurashi, but like, you know, uh, when I played Umineko, I went and I got those original sprites because, yeah, like, I mean, when I when I play that, I will play with original sprites. The quote unquote art quality doesn't matter so much as like are the sprites like expressive and do they convey something yeah. and battlers fucking like suit onesie it conveys something about that man i um i am i am excited to play the uh the tsukihime remake now that it's announced for an english release mm-hmm. um because i think tsukihime is a bad visual novel with the potential to get interesting stories out of it if with a like a readdress of it um but i do know already that i'm going to be really bummed that the aesthetic is so slick and modern and looks like everything else which is not a thing i feel about the original Tsukihime. they took away they took away arcweed's big uh big ankle length purple skirt and i will never forgive them seal does not have clip art tattoos all over her body now cowards cowards so yeah. fucked up uh, when you look at when you look at like the box art of Muv Love, even like if you look at like the most recent release, it's like those are not the characters that I played as in Muv Love. Yeah, you look at the anime, and you're like, this is not this is not what Muv Love looks like. Uh, Muv Love is so tied to uh, early aughts aesthetics, calling back to like '90s anime girls in its design uh, deliberately, uh, and I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, like you need you need Sumika's hair vents that look like cat ears, or else that's yes. not Sumika. Yeah. Um. Cass's second question uh, is about uh, you playing Persona 4 on Twitter uh, and still loves Persona 4 despite its many problems. Um, Do you have any games that you have issues with, but you associate so deeply with part of your life or identity that you just can't help yourself from loving them? I mean, Persona 4, I like Persona 3 a lot. I think I like it more than 4, and I understand Persona 3 is literally a game about how kids should get over depression and contribute to the economy. Mm -hmm. I don't don't have that same affection for Persona 3, but like 4... I said this earlier, you know, 4 is that game for me. Like, that's like the JRPG that I loved, loved, loved when I was a kid and was like first starting to play RPGs. So, and I I went back to it and I'm like, you know what? I'll stand by it. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, I think there's less in Persona 3 that is defensible. I just like it. That is a game about like how everyone responds to mortal terror in a different way. And I find that that speaks greatly to me as someone who has a lot of uh, death anxiety as a person. Um, The answers it comes to are almost like to a person really stupid, but (laughs) that's fine. However, funny robot girl. Yeah. What if you could hang out with a dog? I can do that in real life. No offense, Persona. <laughs> um, Kovats writes in, for Olivia, which blue archive girls would make the best VTubers? Shit, I forgot to think about this. Um, <laughs> um, I got, okay. So I think it is, if I'm picking one person, I think, it, or I have two answers, and they're both Gehenna girls, so like the demon girls, um, Okay. Number one is Aru, who am in the the broad the high concept of her character is that she wants to be a dangerous outlaw and she runs this like this like squad of fixers called Problem Solver sixty eight. 
Um, mm-hmm. But she's actually, like, a deep failure, and she loves to, like, screw up one thing and then have a have an anxiety attack and then, like, trip and spill the spaghetti from her pockets. Um, yes. And that, like, I think she could perfectly slot in as, like, the exact kind of, like, fail girl VTuber that everyone loves, you know? Like, yeah. um, they, the more you learn about her personal life, the more you are surprised that she is still alive. And the more you want to buy her merch because mm-hmm. you you want her to do well. Um the other one is, the other one I would pick is a girl named Haruka from the 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 Gourmet Research Society um mm-hmm. who's just this like absolute terror of a girl who will lead her squad of freaks to like commit any crime for the sake of uh eating rare food. And I think she would just really tackle VTubing with like a go-getter's spirit. Um, she would handle she would handle the corporate side extremely well. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then for me, though, you're welcome to contribute. Which VTubers make the best high school club slash paramilitary unit? <laughs> I think Corona could kill a man. <laughs> I think in my heart, if you're like, make a squad of motherfuckers, <laughs> it's like. It's Corone, uh, it's Louie, it's Fauna, um, it's Marine, and then it's Gura as, like, the mascot that everyone was willing to die for. Yeah. Done. I'm already Five I'm people. already imagining them in the fucking TSF suits. Yes! <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Um, alright, uh... Oh, this is, uh, this is the long one, um, from V, that's, like, two images. Um... I'm just going to read the questions here. Right. Uh, as someone who's tortured for amusement by being forced to watch Gundam Seed, how'd you feel about its influence on the visual novel trilogy? What were we like at the time or nothing more than wow, cool reference? I don't feel like these two things actually have that much in common. That isn't just general mecha shit. Yeah. I think, I think Muvlove pulls way more deliberately from Evangelion. And I genuinely think that the things it pulls from, it does really interesting stuff with that. I, I, I think it's cool when it's doing Ava shit. Yeah. Cause I think it does Ava shit in more interesting ways than Ava does when it goes back to revisit Ava shit. Yeah. I really like, um, how the design of the, uh, of that first TSF that they all pilot is like, what if a Gundam and an Ava had a child mm-hmm. in a way that it's like, it's more it's more military mech than Ava, but than uh than Ava, but it just has this like weird sort of like uh gangly posture and like big arms and in a way that it where it feels like a real creature or something. Um mm. and they're very like acrobatic and stuff. Um I think it's a cool design. Yeah. Uh, um Second question: How is the modern experience going through the visual novels? Back in the way you had to, back in the day, you had to complete both the Sumika and Maya routes before you could install the unlimited content, changing the whole main menu. Now I believe you can just choose. That is true. Uh, um, though I don't think it unlocks Im- immediately until you finish those routes. No, you do have to finish those routes, and then it tells you like, "Hey, you can play unlimited if you want." Yeah. It does still make. But it's you, like it's. Uh, you, I mean, the package is the double package. You know what it is, yeah. right? Like they're they're advertising that thing. Um, it's weird because like. I don't know if I just set up my controls differently because it doesn't really have because I play these both on Steam Deck and they don't really have um, a, a like bespoke controller setup. So I just kind of set up my own. And I remember in the first game in an extra and limited having a button that just changed the Japanese text, which I thought was interesting and did sometimes. And I couldn't figure out how to do that in uh, alternative. 
I don't know if I just set up the controls wrong because uh, Y did no longer did, did that, but it did used to do that, and I was confused as to why that was. Interesting. Um, I was, I was, I did think it was neat to just have a button to switch the Japanese dialogue. Yeah, um, I know some other from, VNs do that too. Like you can do that in yeah. Omnico, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Every time I switched it, I was like, "Oh, this is a game for like older readers." <laughs> Every, this is just like wall-to-wall comedy <laughs> happening here. <laughs> Um, every once in a while, you, you know, you, you approach a Japanese game, and you're like, I could muddle through this. There's no fucking way <laughs> anyone without like d- real fluency in Japanese could muddle through Muff Love, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they played just fine. There was no real problems with them. Um, yeah. they work great on a Steam Deck, so. I didn't have an issue on my, on my dirt shit <laughs> laptop. Just playing yeah. it. Yeah, when I played through Fate, uh, the reason I bought Steam because I was, like, playing Fate on my PC, but, like, I was mirroring it to my iPad mm-hmm. using, like, Moonlight to, like, and then just, like, touch for all the buttons. Not the ideal way to play visual novels. I finished multiple visual novels that way, though. I will I will say, I didn't encounter a problem, but I did have points playing Unlimited, where it was, like, the height of summer, and... It, uh, you know, I was trying to conserve energy and not use my AC too much. And I would just hear the fan going on my laptop. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time for a Muv Love break. <laughs> because I feel like if I push this thing too hard, it might blow up. And it never did. But it really made my computer work for it sometimes. Yeah. Um, and the third question, is there any spinoffs that you're interested in? I would say not really. Like, it feels like... Yeah. The spinoffs are way more interested in, like, the military mecha side and not the, yeah. the harem shenanigans side. And that's what I like about Muv Love, so. Yes, um, I would agree. I don't really want to see, like, you know, th- you know they have they have some that are from the perspective of, like, you know, like, women in the Muv Love setting. But, like, the interesting part of Muv Love for me is, like, the interplay between the parallel universes so if you just have yeah. characters that are only in the the unlimited world, that's not as interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry sends an email. Uh, was playing Love while watching Digimon Adventure and wondered if uh, when everyone if everyone got isekai to the digital world, what would be their Digimon partners? To which I go, I don't know enough about Digimon to answer this. And you said, I don't know anything about Digimon. <laughs> yeah, I do know Pokemon like this, and I did do it, so I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. To- yeah, hit me. Hit me with some Pokemon. Because I knew you were going to do this, and I was like, that's fine, because I know Pokemon more than I know Digimon. So Okay. So, um, I honestly don't... Okay, so for Takeru, I don't really know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's from Scarlet mm. and Violet. Um, Cerulege? The the one that's like um, the Mega Man-looking guy with the two sword hands? I do not know this one, because I haven't played Scarlet and Violet. Right, I'm going to send it to you real quick. Um, but the reason that I picked this Pokemon is because he is, like, exactly the kind of, like, cool guy aesthetic that I think Takiru would love. I think Takiru would whoa, think... Whoa, <laughs> whoa, this thing is basically just a, a TFS, TFS anyway, yeah. so... Takiru would be like, this is the coolest guy ever, and I love him. Yeah, that's fair. Uh-oh. I like that. And, um, I think Sumika, on the other hand, she would have a Tinkaton. Do you know this one? Oh, yes. I don't think it's on. <laughs> I think they have the same vibe where they're both, like, cute and pink, but, like, very violent. 
And so I think if yes. Sumika had a Tinkaton, they would get along like a house on fire, and they would just like constantly yes. be innovating new ways to beat Takaru's ass. I mean, um, Sumika is like the anime Jigglypuff who like sings and puts everyone to sleep and then draws in their faces mad that they fall asleep. Like literally as a human being. Yeah. So yeah, she is. She's a bit of a terror. And I think yes. I think her and Tinkaton would just get along so well. Yes. Um, for Maya, I want to give her a Lucario. Um, because they're both, oh yeah, sure. Okay. They're both like the cool, the cool and proud, like fighter types, but they, both of them can also be cute. Like, I think you could easily imagine them like doing like cool guy fighting poses together or like failing to use a computer in a cute way. I was going to end up giving her something a little more like regal, like an Altaria or something like very, like a dragon type. That's just like Mm a little remote and whimsical. I think she could work with that too. Um, yeah. if you gave her the right dragon type. Um, yeah. I think she would work great with, like, a dragon hair. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, for Chizuru, I want to give her an Espeon, because Espeon just has that, like, bitch energy. <laughs> sure. Um, I, that's, that's, I think it can be, like, a, I think if she had, like, a very haughty Espeon, I think they would fit together as, like, the smart ones who, like, uh, hold everyone else to a very high standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't dislike that one. I could see her also having something that's, like, kind of, like, aspirational. I could see her, like, a, a Roserade or something. Oh, yeah. It's, like, weirdly, like, you're like, this is too, like, femme and refined for you. And she'd get really offended when anyone said that. Yeah. Takaru would say that specifically, and then she would, like, yes. punch him. <laughs> yeah. But not in the way that Sumika punches him, like a knockout no, punch. No, no, no. In, like, a real mean way, yes. <laughs> he would be on the floor. Yeah. Um... Uh, for Ray, I want to give her a Krogunk, because they have similar, like, slacker vibes who like to mess with people. Um, oh, I like that. I like that quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, Krogunk in the anime, I think there's, like, a bit in the Diamond and Pearl anime where, like, Team Rocket has a Krogunk, and it loves to, like, poison them. Yeah. And uh, I think Ray is, like, a similar character. I was going to give her, like, a Munchlax for basically the exact same reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, she needs to be able to chill. With her Pokemon, yeah. and I think Krogan yes. and Munchlax work for that. Yeah. Um, Mickey is maybe the most obvious choice. I think she would have a Skitty because it's like a cute pink cat. Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. I would say I was going to give her something a little more chaotic, like a, like a Gengar for like just the <laughs> energy she brings to something. Uh, I think if she had a Gengar, it would like torment her. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she would not have like the trainer's charisma to be able to keep the Gengar in check. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's everyone, right? No, yeah. no, I got more. Oh. First of all, oh okay. Uh, for uh, Mikoto, I want to give her oh, a Quagsire because they're oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. They're like silly and doofy looking, but they're like surprisingly reliable and durable. They're yeah. the same guy. Yeah. Um, for Marimo, I want to give her a lichen rock because she is the the mastiff of whatever they called her <laughs> at that point. Um, but it's like a cute dog, but it still can like kill someone, and that's that's Marimo. Okay. Um, that's like sure. unlimited Marimo specifically. Yeah. Um, I think Yuka would have an Absol. Um, 
specifically because of like the lore bit for Ab- they have the same hair yeah <laughs> and specifically because of the lore bit for absol where it is like a pokemon associated with disaster because it predicts disasters mm. and tries to avert them and oh i like that they're that's like that's a point of resonance between them um sure and then kasumi i think she would have specifically a male meow stick um because they are both creepy creepy psychic cats with like weird floppy mm-hmm. ears um okay. i just imagine the two of them like flopping their ears at the same time and i think that's a very cute image yeah uh, and then we have a final email um, from Ken. I played Muv Love years ago before the official release. Uh, the fan translation was originally lent to me by a friend with very little details. Just there was a rom-com harem anime game is very long and gets wild in a way I wouldn't expect. Um, this came out because I really liked the anime Kimi ga Nozomo Ayan, which is the same setting. And I had no idea about the mecha side of it. <laughs> Um, this is using Mobile's example. What do you think about media making core genre shifts or hiding what the focus is about from the player? Do you think that with the ubiquitous mecha, ubiquitous mecha in Muv Love's marketing discussion creates a lesser experience or just a different one? Hmm. I, hmm. I honestly think that like the degree to which media makes like core genre shifts that audiences don't know going in can be a little bit exaggerated. I like the ones that I think of that are always like one example I think of that's always cited as doing this is like Madoka, where it's like, oh, you mm. thought it was a magical show, but it turns out it's fucked up. I but genuinely don't think Madoka has a genre shift. Yeah. I will I will die on this hill. <laughs> I think that Madoka is just a magical girl show the entire time. Yeah. And that's that's basically what I'm going to say is like yeah. if the the content is not that different from other magical girl shows, and I think even if you watch the first episode, like even from the first episode, there the show was hinting at you like there's something there's something not on the level about this weird little cat thing, you know? Like yeah. it's always even before like things start to get difficult for the characters, I think they're you know, the show is still communicating a sense of like, you know, th- this is not just like a purely good thing that they're being like, you know, ushered into. Um Yeah. And I think just like on a meta level for media from the perspective of like finding your audience you need to you need to have something about you need to have some information out there about what your thing is actually about if you want to like attract people who are interested in it you know um if Muvlove is just if Muvlove is only marketed as just like oh it's just like a a, a romantic a romantic comedy vn you know, you're going to get a lot of people who want to read romantic comedy VN and don't want to read, like, a military mecha VN as well. But you mm-hmm. need to find the overlap of those two audiences, and the only way you're going to do that is if they know what they're getting into going in. Yeah. I guess for me, it's like, I'm not typically engaging with media I don't already know a little bit about. I mostly look at old things, <laughs> and the old things come on my radar because people hold them up as, like, having value or, the, like, something catches my curiosity. So I go in blind to basically nothing at this point. Yeah. Um, and part of that's just, like, like, being a critic. Like, I just kind of know a little bit about 8,000 things uh, on accident. Um, so I don't really... I can't think of the last time this happened to me. Like, I think of, like, when I was a kid. Like, the, the thing that makes me think of this is, like, um, the movie uh, from... You know, we can't talk about movies. We're not supposed to talk about movies. Never mind. Ignore me. We're gonna we're gonna hold to the strike, and I'm not gonna talk about struck work. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. I think I'm in a similar boat where like I'm a very like non 
I'm not very averse to spoilers in general. Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy. Like when I'm interested in something, I just start looking up shit. I'm like, you know what? Just like tell me what this thing is about. And then even if I get like, even if I end up going in, there's several things I've gone into just like knowing what the plot is and what the twists are and what the beat is. But like I went in because I knew about those stuff and wanted to see it executed, you know, in its proper form. Um, my thing, especially, this happens with anime media a lot because a lot of it is kind of samey um, on the outside in like abstract. Is I can never tell whether I'm going to like something or not by what it, what kind of story it is. Um, it, good and bad all sound the same when I'm like reading a blurb or a Wikipedia summary. I need someone to give me a pitch on like the emotions that they felt playing it and whether that's going to relate to me. And that's how I, I derive my own interest out of something. Uh, the way people talk about it. Um, which is like how I ended up with Muv Love, which like I like a mecha thing. I was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, but you were talking about all the like character interaction stuff. And I was like, these screenshots look funny. You seem to like it. It has wormed its way into my attention because of that. Like you weren't even trying to pitch me on playing Muv Love. No, I was just, I just found it because of you talking about it. I yes. just posted every time that Mickey was like a fucking little creature stumbling yes. around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a really hard, I feel like I'm a hard person to directly pitch to, but if you talk about a thing you like in my earshot, I tend to pay attention. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's the secret. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard. I think, I think you should sell what your thing is. I think like, oh, there's a twist halfway in is the worst way to sell anyone on anything. Just tell me what it is. Yeah. Like either, either it will sustain it when I know, or it's all about the twist and there's nothing in which case don't waste my time with like, Oh, there's a twist. There. Yeah. I think like, I think it's, it's like that can backfire too, you know, because you, you get people who are only in, you get audience members who are only in there to see the twist. And then if they don't like the twist, they're like, well, you wasted my time. You know, that's like, um, I don't think it's like, I don't think it, his reputation is earned, but I think, like, a lot of, like, M. Night Shyamalan... Oh, wait. Movies. Fuck. Yeah. <sighs> Strike stuff's hard. Anyway. It's hard out here, yeah. You don't want, like, you know, if you... You don't want people coming away from your thing feeling like it wasted their time. Um, and I think, like, if you if you decide to hold super hard to, uh, you know, give it a big subversion in your thing, you will get people who that happens to, you know? Um, it's like how people always talk about Tales games as like being these big subversions of JRPGs, but like Tales games are for JRPG fans, you know? Um, yeah. They're not in it to like shock people who want to play JRPGs. Um, they're like there to entertain people who want to play JRPGs. Yeah. Um, and when they're like, actually, the church is evil, you're like, Hell yeah, baby, the church is evil. Let's go. I don't think I could name a single RPG where the church is not evil. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. I mean, the church is evil. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's it oh. for the questions. If oh. you'd like to send... Oh. You know what's fucked up? The one JRPG what? where the church is an evil is Trails. Oh, sure. It is... I mean... There are there are faction there are guys who used to be affiliated with the church who are evil, um, and the church is like a political entity with its own uh, designs. But it's not like more evil than like any given state actor is, you know. Sure. Yeah. 
There's just a bit, you know. They just sometimes characters sit around and they're like, hmm, well, it's important to know what the church thinks about this, because they could get involved in this political situation. Alright, anything else? No, I think that's it. Alright, if you'd like to send emails again, abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. That's the end of the episode. We did it. This is like as long as the Final Fantasy 16 one. <laughs> Muffalo's good, what can I say? Muffalo, less misogynistic uh, than Final Fantasy <laughs> Oh, absolutely! Are you fucking kidding me? I'll, sti- I'll stick by it. Yeah, th- no question. The women have perspectives. Uh, I think even when the women are, like, in love with Takaru, and that's their major motivation for doing things, they still have, like, agency and perspective, and, like, get their moments to be cool and do stuff. Which, yeah, like, absolutely. Final Fantasy sixteen could never. No. Um, all right. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on the internet. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Great Greed, which is where I'm going to be until this thing fucking dies. Um, they call it X now. It's X on my phone and I hate it. But like the social network is where the people are and the people are still on Twitter. So I'm going to be there. I'm also a co-host on Great Greed, which I'm probably going to go to, which I post to less frequently. And that's where I'll probably go if Twitter, like, really for real dies. Um, but I might end up on, like, Blue Sky if it gets a lot of Twitter users, but who knows. Mm-hmm. We're, the old world is dying, and it's been dying for, like, a year now, and we're just sitting here waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, you can find me, of course, on Twitter at EM underscore being. I mostly, as my secondary, use Blue Sky, where it is EM being all one word. Um, I am on Coast, but I wouldn't say I use it particularly often. So I went the other way. I find Coast really intimidating as a platform to use. Too much posting uh, pressure for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you can find the podcast at normalmapping.com. If you'd like to support our work and get premium podcasts, you can do that. Patreon.com slash normalmapping. Uh, you know, there's Gundam for a dollar. Uh, we continue to watch. We're watching some movies. We're watching the Gundam trilogy. We're about to watch Zeta New Translation, which I'm sure will be bad. And uh, we start Double O in September. I think. We got Double O. Come- I'm so, very excited for Double O. I'm excited for Double O. Uh, hope it's good. Uh, and uh, Abnormal Mapping will be back at the end of this month to talk about Mega Man Legends, which is a game I'm nearly done with and really like. It's really good. <laughs> Um, so I'm excited to get into that. Um, that's everything. Thanks, Olivia, for coming by, uh, sitting with me for three hours after I played this long ass video game. <laughs> no problem. I was, I was waiting. I, I, I finished Alternative about this time last year, so I have been waiting for a whole year. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about Muff Love. Yeah. Um, I don't know when the next random visual novel episode of Abnormal Mapping will be when I play something worth talking about. No. Um, so. Look forward to that uh, when it comes around. Until then, thanks everyone, and goodbye. Yeah,